is the number you are listening to the Sports Loud Mouth. As you know, I am Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Wednesday and Thursday on Wednesday, 7 p.m. on Thursday at 9 p.m. Check us out on our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I love that one. I do, I do love it. And you check out our app on iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, I have a message for Noah Syndergaard. Ooh. Hope you enjoyed yesterday's combined no-hitter. Now you get to witness one in person, just like you like it. Mm. Like it? What are you talking about? Yeah, well, he was taking shots at the Mets. Oh, you, the Mets combined no-hitter is not a real no-hitter. Well, now you witnessed one in person against your own team, so enjoy it. Well, they're they're tied one one, and Noah is on the mound, he, so he's pitching okay. He's pitching so okay so far. A uh, little bit later in the show at ten o'clock, we'll be talking to Mile High Huddle Broncos and NFL analyst Lance Sanderson. At ten thirty, we'll also be talking to WPLG Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. Uh, so it's going to be a great show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk a little Miami Dolphins as they added a Bradley Chubb at the trade deadline. And the Broncos, who added absolutely zilchy. Well, they added a pass rusher and lost a pass rusher. And they added Chase Edmonds. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a first-round draft pick. They actually have a first-round draft pick this year, so that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. After uh, making that move for Russell Wilson, which is probably smacking him in the face as we speak. Um, so we're going to get into Kyrie Irving. Refuse it to apologize for any anti-Semitic things that he has said, especially uh, the film promotion and hate speech. So congratulations. I can't wait to attack this again after what he said today, what he didn't say today. How's that sound? Uh, Andy Martino reports that the Mets are not likely to get into a bidding war with the Yankees for Aaron Judge. World Series 2-2. That's right. It's tied 2-2 as the Strohs and the Philadelphia Phillies are in game number four. And obviously what happened in game number three, well, game number four, actually, it was an O-hitter. We're at game number five. I'm sorry. It, it, it's so crazy with, with everything that's going on in the world. I, I you know, you forget what how many games are in the World Series. It's it's just really crazy. Uh, yeah, so it's... uh. It's 2-2, and they're in game number five. They're in Philadelphia, the last home game for the Philadelphia Phillies, so they need this game just as much as uh, the Astros could end them if they win tonight. I really do believe that. Um, James Harden likely to miss at least two months for a foot tendon injury. Brandon Cooks out tonight for the Texans. Could cut him 
after not trading him. So uh, a lot of teams might be hunting for a wide receiver. Why not add Brandon Cooks if he becomes available? This could be a very uh, nice move for a.k.a. Aaron Rodgers in the Green Bay pack if this happens. Uh, uh, Joe Shane, get on the phone. Mm-hmm. NFL Week 9 picks last week. And uh, as everybody knows... Uh, who who was eleven and four? Oh, you that's were eleven right. and four. That's right. I was twelve and three, and then Derek was ten and five. Oh, so we all did that's pretty collective well. week we've had all three of us. Uh, that's a pretty good week. Mm-hmm. It really is. So I'm still in the lead. I'm still kicking yeah, butt. You are. I'm still kicking everybody's butt, but that's just me. I, I, I but it's great. I'm happy for everybody, uh, including Derek, who is trying to get that uh, record up a little bit higher because it hasn't been good for the last two weeks. Well, last week it was, but the first two weeks it was horrible for Derek. Derek was sexing me earlier. He was getting mad at the Panthers the way they blew that game. Like, oh, they almost won. And I'm like, oh, no. But you can blame the kicker for that one. Missed missed an extra point to to take the lead and then uh, missed a chip shot in overtime, which didn't help. Congratulations to Brian Mountain. He's getting married tomorrow, and that's why Derek will not be on the show tonight. Uh, Congratulations to the Mountain family. Uh, absolutely deserving. Uh, Brian's one of the nicest people you can possibly meet. And Derek also is a fantastic person. And, uh, and Steve, their father, is a great person as well. So congratulations to the Mountain family. That much, much deserved. Uh, Brian uh, deserves to be happy. I'm very happy for him. So, uh, yeah. So why don't we get into it? Before I have my rant on the absolute non-apology from the great and powerful idiot, Kyrie Irving. Uh, we have a clip from today on what he, you know, his apology, which wasn't an apology. Uh, surprised that I did hurt people. Are you surprised that reaction and some of the things that you did hurt people? Yeah, I, I think I can ask a better question. It's just, where were you when I was uh, a kid figuring out? that uh, 300 million of my ancestors are buried in America. Where were you guys asking those same questions when I was a kid dealing with learning about the traumatic events of my familial history and what I'm proud to come from and why I'm proud to stand here and why when I repeat myself that I'm not gonna stand down, it has nothing to do with dismissing any other race or group of people. I'm just proud of my heritage and what we've been through. And uh, the fact that this has pinned me against the Jewish community and uh, I'm here answering questions of whether or not I'm sorry or not on something I didn't create. And it was something I shared. And I'm telling everybody I'm taking responsibility. Then that's where I sit. So, so wait a second. He is a proud black man, which we understand. Everybody, every athlete in the NBA is proud of their heritage. Okay. And he is trying to apology, apologize, but he's not. I, 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 I don't understand this. Now, we could go back and forth on Kyrie Irving, his antics and his stupidity and what he has said over the past. I, we've, we've spoken about this last week. We've spoken about this yesterday. So I'm not going to get into this again. I will say this about Kyrie Irving. He has mocked. Every single thing he's brought up in conversation, if it it doesn't have anything to do with COVID-19, the world, heritage, anti-Semitic views, anything that he says is just off target and really makes absolutely 
No sense. None. And finally, the Nets suspend this guy. They suspend him for five or more games. All right? We don't know how long this suspension is going to be held. The fact is, why is it taking Adam Silver to go sit down and speak with Kyrie Irvin? It's going to take him a week and a half to sit down with him and speak to him about his anti-Semitic views? Now, he says there uh, he doesn't have to explain himself to the Jewish community. What are you kidding me? You are in the Jewish community. You play for the Brooklyn Nets. So let me ask you this. If if you were sitting there as a fan and you weren't a basketball player and you were Jewish and you're paying thousands and thousands of dollars to watch to watch your favorite players play, okay? And then you go out there, they, they go out there, a player, your favorite player, let's say, I'm going to say, John Schmo. He sits out there in front of the press and talks about your heritage, Judaism. He attacks you and, and your, your heritage about, you know, his views behind the Holocaust, his views behind the film, and, and liking it and pushing it for everybody to check out. Okay? Would you be happy sitting there as a fan of that particular player? Would you be happy that that player is promoting something that was against your heritage? Come on, Kyrie. You're not that stupid. Nobody's stupid. You're a smart man. You went to Duke. You went to the University of Duke. It's a very smart college. You have to be a really smart person to get into that college. You're not dumb. Let's go ask Coach K how stupid you are. You must not be that dumb. You're a fantastic basketball player. There's no question that you are. But for you to come out and not apologize after this whole thing, it's spreading like a wildfire for you, bud. Everybody's talking about it now. Your own heritage. Everybody. Charles Barkley. Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody is attacking you. Attacking for what you have brought to the community of Brooklyn. It's not like you have enough fans coming to watch you play anyways. Now you have fans that are canceling their season tickets. Because half of them are Jewish. And you're not going to apologize for what you said? Now Adam Silver... I don't know what Adam Silver is going to say to this guy. And even if he tells Kyrie, the smartest thing for you to do is to go out there and apologize for whatever you said or whatever you were trying to promote. It's not going to sell to the fans anymore. They already know that you're not apologetic. They already know that you don't care. So why would the fans care that if Adam Silver comes to you and speaks to you, that if you give an apology, it's going to mean anything? It's not. Because we already know you're a piece of garbage. The NBA should be suspending this guy indefinitely. He should not play another basketball game this year. Let Kevin Durant go cry to another team. Let him get traded because that's where he wants to go. Ben Simmons is not even going to play because the guy can't stay healthy. He's out for another two games. I mean, the guy can never stay healthy. This team is going nowhere. 
The New York Knicks, and yes, I am a Knicks fan. The New York Knicks are a better built organization, a better built team right now than the Brooklyn Nets. And what does that tell you? It tells you New York has garbage basketball. And then you have idiots, big views from these morons like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, who's his teammate. You would think Kevin Durant would come out and actually speak in behalf of the, the Brooklyn Nets organization because he's the face of it. No, he doesn't want to say nothing. He doesn't want to bring out any communication to what is going on with this team and with this particular player, which, by the way, he's been sticking up for since day one, since he's been there. What is going on? Why is the NBA letting this man speak? I would tell him right now, you're better off just hiding in a room or hiding in a, uh, hiding in a shed or something because somebody's going to come around and kill you. I cannot sit here and promote ignorance. I cannot sit here and promote a moron who could sit there and honestly say 300 million people of his heritage. Kyrie, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for African American and their culture. I have followed the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter uh, you know, straight through everything that's happened over the last year and a half, two years. I agree with so many things that has gone on in the world, and I have backed up everything that has gone on, which uh, the white communities have tortured so, so many different black and African-American people. I absolutely agree with so many things and and backing up the Black Lives Matter culture over the last couple of years. I have. But to sit here as a basketball fan and respect a player of this magnitude, I cannot. I cannot. And I cannot sell... To the New York fans or the Brooklyn fans or the fans all around the country that this man is sincere. This man has any respect for the culture and and the people that he's playing in front of. The league cannot sit here and rest that this man deserves to make millions and millions of dollars. And just throw things under a rug like nothing ever happened. I mean, I mean, Speedy, we've been sitting here for the last two days. And I, I, I feel bad because young, young fans, young basketball fans, that Jewish heritage. There's so many Jews that love the game of basketball. My, my cousin played for, played for the Maccabee games. He played basketball for New York at the Maccabee Games in San Diego this past year. Okay? The Maccabee Games is worldwide. Ask Amari Stoudemire, who was a part of the Maccabee Games in Israel. And I sit here, and I'm so upset, not because it's part of my culture, And my views are different than everybody else's. 
I grew up a completely different way. I can't. I grew up from a, a Christian family and a Jewish family. I was around it all. I understand the different types of religions in the following of, of, of different Bibles from the New Testament to the Old Testament. But when you go out there and you watch a film, which, by the way, is completely, absolutely outrageous, talking about that the Holocaust never existed, that four million people weren't murdered, innocent people weren't murdered by the Nazis, and saying that Jews run the world, and trying to throw Jews under the bus because Jews are just pieces of garbage, which is ridiculous. That I'm not going to sit back and, and promote. How could anybody promote something so disgusting, so disrespectful, so anti-Semitic? And then not apologize for what he said. He will not apologize for anything, any forgiveness on what he has said. And you want to know something? I, I, if I was a Kyrie Irving fan, or if I was a Brooklyn Nets fan wearing his jersey, just like they, just like Cleveland fans did to LeBron James's jersey when he walked out of the Cleveland Cavaliers to go to the Miami Heat to win championships with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and this is that wasn't even as anywhere close to as bad as this. No. I would take his jersey outside to the garbage can and burn it. Yeah, I would burn. Everything with his name on it. Because he's not a man. He's got children. You're trying to teach your children the right thing to do. You follow all this, this abusive attacks with COVID-19 for people that didn't want to get the shots and the people that did. And I respected you for it. And that's why you didn't play. But at the same time I respected you for it, when you weren't playing last year, you were hanging out on a bus, not wearing a mask, partying it up, promoting something that you absolutely were against. And now this. Why is it that Kyrie Irving is the centerfold of everything that goes on bad in New York? Everything. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Every single year. It's been, how long have they been there? Three years? Three years. Since Three years. And every single possible thing that's gone wrong in New York sports has to do with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And this is the worst one of it by far because you're dealing with one that has to deal with human issues. Yeah, you pay the Jewish community. Congratulations. That means nothing. That does not mean your values are changing. That does not mean you. What does he pay? What, 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 what does he do? Uh, he pays the Jewish community? Congratulations. Yeah, he, they pay The him Jewish like community pays your salary. Correct. What is wrong with you? The Jewish community. Brooklyn is practically Jewish. Mm-hmm. It is Jewish from top to bottom. Yes, there is African Americans that live there. Yes, there's Chinese that live there. Yes, there are other cultures that live there. I will tell you right now, here in New York... I would say about 70% of the Jewish population is from Brooklyn. And you're attacking your fans. Mm -hmm. And you think this is normal. And by the way, for all the people on Facebook 
agreeing with Kyrie Irving, shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know what you guys, I don't know where you guys grew up. And I know you might be a Kyrie Irving fan and you might think this is normal. This isn't normal. A man, and, and, and by the way, why isn't his father speaking out and trying to shut his son up? Okay? This guy grew up in New Jersey. He's from this area. What is wrong with this guy? Is he that stupid? He must be mentally retarded. I shouldn't be, be even using that word on live air. But that's what he is. He's a mental idiot. There is something wrong with this man. Yo, and I'm not happy about it. It's not ruining my day. I'm sitting here on a radio show speaking on my feelings. And for all the Jews out there that should be speaking up on this. It's disgusting. Kanye West, shut up. You're an idiot. You're a dumb, ridiculous singer that nobody wants to hear anymore. Oh, you're complaining. You're saying that Adidas isn't going to get rid of the contract because they're stuck with you. I'll tell you this right now. Adidas is run by the Jewish community. There's a guy, the, the CFO and the CEO of the company is Jewish. Okay? They'll find a way to get out of that contract, Kanye. So don't think that you're going to get away with that. And you're going to make your millions of dollars. You were once a billionaire. You're no longer a billionaire anymore. And Elijah Moore, I'm going to say this. I wear the green and white proudly. I do. I am a Jet fan for life, as bad as they have been for many, many years. I have been and I will always be a New York Jet fan. You don't belong with the Jets. You are a me player. Me players don't last here very long. Ask Jamal Adams. Ask every single player that were me players that stepped on MetLife Stadium's turf or Giant Stadium's turf. Nobody gives a crap about what you think, what you know, where you're from, and what you believe. For you to like something like that, you're an ignorant idiot just like that moron over there in Brooklyn. There is nothing to say any more of this. I don't want to hear Kyrie's, Kyrie's name anymore in the tabloids, in the newspapers. This story has ruined the game of basketball this week. He is ruining what the game of basketball stands for. And, and LeBron James, where the hell is LeBron James from this? Where is he? Is he hiding under a rock? This man speaks highly For everything else, everything else that's gone on in the world. Because he knows, and I said this yesterday, when stuff was going on and people were taking shots at China, he was standing up for it. Why? Because he's making millions and millions of dollars over there. Black Lives Matter? Stand it up for it. 110%. No question. Colin Kaepernick stuck up for him. 110%. Where is he on this? Why haven't we seen LeBron James post something about this on his social media? You know why? Because he doesn't give a crap. It doesn't mean anything to him. 
Nothing means anything to him. N- meanwhile, 90% of his fans, 80, actually, I would, I would say 90%. I would say about 50% of the fans are Jewish. It's a lot to be able to process all that. It's not only culturally pr- bad, but in terms of human history, it is discriminationally bad for Kyrie Irving to have that kind of apology like that. It was, you talk about anyone who grew up uh, to try to have the heard or have a half ass apology like that, and he does it in front of the press. Now, he not only doesn't apologize whatsoever to any community. You're thinking some level of money's going to cover it up, like you were saying with Kanye? No. Your, st- your values are still standing there. You're still promoting something. Oh, I didn't create the film. Congratulations. You still promoted it. You still put it out there on Twitter to have these guys watch And by it. the way, there are people watching it now. Yeah. There are people going out and listening to you. You have millions and millions of people following. I don't know how many people follow him on Twitter. I bet you it's over at least 2 million people. 3 million people follow Kyrie Irving. You have these young kids checking out a, a film that is so anti-Semitic, so disgusting. You're promoting something that shouldn't be promoted. And whoever made that film, shame on you. Shame on you. Yeah. And again, you're looking at a case of one of the, the greatest tragedy in human history. Innocent Jews getting murdered, slaughtered, left and right throughout the 1930s and the 1940s. And... You're just going to shy away and say, okay, we had all these – my ancestor, three million ancestors get murdered. Nobody should get murdered innocently in any culture, any religion like that. There's tons of other cultures like I've that. Supported, Why are you discriminating? I've supported Black Lives Matter since yeah. it started. It's, it's been, you can answer for, the, for me on that. Yeah. I have been behind it from day one. I absolutely agree with everything that's gone on, and I don't agree with the kneeling on you know on the football field I don't I, I think there were other ways there were other players uh, holding holding wrapping their arms and locking arms I thought that was the better way of promoting it and and pushing it but I supported it why isn't that there any NBA players right now supporting or attacking Kyrie Irving for what he said yeah and again there's no need to single out that kind of thing either we have empathy for those those wrongfully murdered people that are African-American, that are Asian, whatever it may be. There's no need to discriminate against Jewish people and against a genocide of millions of Jews in a really rough time in human history. There's no need to have any reference to that. And then you go out with this half-ass apology that you're you're not even an apology like that kind of thing, and you expect to get away with it because you paid them off. Ian Bagley uh, said something. ADL CEO Jonathan... Greenblatt says ADL is not accepting Kyrie Irving's 500K donation. We were optimistic, but after watching the debacle of a press conference, it's clear that Kyrie feels no accountability for his actions. Uh, At ADL cannot in good uh, conscience accept the donation. So that's what Ian, uh, Ian Begley said. About Kyrie Irving, he donated 500k, and he they are not the ADL is not accepting the 500k uh-huh. because it doesn't represent who Kyrie Irving is. Because Kyrie Irving is still going to value those beliefs, and it's something that can't be solved with money. It is a human rights, human morals issue. 
Um, Emmanuel Echo Echo on on social media, he's a reporter, Mm -hmm. says a a message for all. You won't realize you're anti-Semitic if you don't know what uh, anti-Semitic is. So uh, hashtag Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. So, so, I I mean, everybody is speaking out on this. And and these are, and by the way, these are people from his culture. Yeah. African-Americans. And it's a league in the NBA, too, that's supposed to pride itself on this diversity. And why are they trying to be discrimination? Why are these other pl- why are these players like Kyrie Irving trying to be discrimination? You mentioned LeBron, too. Yeah, LeBron supports the, the Chinese movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, no, he's defending his friend Kyrie. No, yeah, that doesn't help your cause of diversity and actually attacking human issues like this one here. And anyone that is a Kyrie Irving basketball fan, allegedly, there's plenty of other players like him. Go root for them instead. This guy should not be... Rooted for, supported, and treated like that and what his views are. Um, I'm trying to read uh, off some of the things that are posted all over social media. Uh, Christos uh, uh, Tistalist, I, 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 he's a Greek, Greek yeah. person. Kyrie Irving legacy at Brooklyn Nets is probably the weirdest thing in recent history of the NBA. So gifted, such a gifted guy, an elite hooper, but the same at the same time, so many, so many. So many off-the-floor issues to deal with. Irving's stint at Nets is one of the biggest what-ifs in NBA history. I mean, this is a man that's, that is losing so many respect, so much respect from not only his peers, but from the press. Yeah. He, he's in the biggest, biggest press in the world. I mean, New York has the most crazy press coverage uh, reporters in the world. And for him to come out and not apologize for what he said, <laughs> I mean, is he going to get a job next year when he's available to be a free agent? I, I don't. I hope not. I, I'm telling you right now, if I'm the Lakers, I'm staying far, far away from him. Yeah. If I'm any team, I'm staying far, far away from him. And that's why. Adoka is it's just it was a horrible hire. I, I don't I don't know what Sean Marks is thinking. I, I have no idea what he's thinking in his head. The man might be just as crazy as Kyrie Irving is. Yeah. How do you how do you try to already deal with an already horrific and disturbing PR nightmare by hiring a guy that had his own issues off the court? I'm not saying it's anywhere near to the extent of what Kyrie Irving's saying and preaching, but it again it he had three, three, four, five intimate relationships with the Celtics. Yeah, none of them were violent, allegedly, but he had abusive language towards all of them. And this is the guy you're going to hire as a coach to try to create some kind of stability in your already dysfunctional mess of a franchise? Yeah, you're not looking very smart either, Mr. Marks. Uh, Sean Marks, not you. You're, you're looking very smart. <laughs> well, Sean Marks, Mr. Marks, he's not related to me, so. No, but again, he's, uh, he does he's have putting a bad name on your namesake, unfortunately. Unfortunately, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll attack him, even if he is yeah, family. I think he's an idiot. How's that sound? There you go. I think he will be fired by the end of this year because he doesn't know how to control his idiot players on his team. Ben Simmons will be uh, probably sitting the bench wherever he plays in the next. Uh, he'll probably be a net for the next five or six years, uh, getting paid $35 million because uh, the coach doesn't care if he can shoot. I mean, I don't think you'll hear that from Madoka. <laughs> you better learn how to shoot, but that's just yep. all that thing. Um, Andy Martino, uh, obviously a Mets writer. 
uh, reports that the Mets are not likely to get into a bidding war with the Yankees for Aaron Judge. All right. Aaron Judge is going to be the biggest player on the market this offseason. This is a guy that hit 62 home runs, almost won the Triple Crown, almost won the batting title. He was the best player in the league by far this year. He had a horrible playoff run. Horrible. He, he was hitting 200 in the playoffs. Does that hurt what he's going to get paid in the offseason? No, it won't. But it might hurt him being a New York Yankee. And I'm going to tell you why. And I am a Yankee fan. I stand out for all my players when they become free agents. Even though I wasn't a Derek Jeter fan, the Yankees needed to sign Derek Jeter when he became a free agent. He was the face of baseball. He was the face of that organization. Aaron Judge is the face of baseball right now. He is the face of the Yankees organization. But right now, the Yankees are in a position where they're not ready to win. It doesn't matter if they're going to make the playoffs year in and year out. They're an all-or-nothing team. Even their pitching is all-or-nothing. Strikeout or home run. They had, the, they had the, the best strikeout pitcher in baseball, and they also had the guy that gave up the most home runs in baseball. And he's the same pitcher, Garrett Cole, who, by the way, is the th- what was the third or fourth highest paid pitcher in baseball history. Right now, the Yankees got to be smart. They have to be smart. You look at the position that they're in, they have a couple of good young players in the farm system. Dominguez, Volpe, they brought up Pereza. They have Cabrera, who looked really, really good, especially at the end of the season. It bef- before he ran into uh, Aaron Hicks, which probably was best for the New York Yankees, um, he was playing pretty pretty well all over the field. Best defensive player in the playoffs. 100%. He could be your future left fielder if Aaron Judge decides to part ways with the Yankees. Right now, the Yankees need to add... Bats in the lineup that can hit for average. Throughout the season, they were all or nothing. They would hit five home runs in a game or one home run in a game. And if they hit one home run in the game, they lose that game. And probably strike out ten times. You cannot win in this league. Even the great Yankee teams in the 90s. Five out of the nine guys in the lineup... We're hitting for average. They weren't considered power hitters. Scott Brocious, power hitter? No. Derek Jeter, power hitter? No. I could go through that. I'll go through the line. Bernie Williams, he can hit for power. Was he a power hitter? No. He did 20, 23 home runs. He's not a power hitter. He hit for average. Tino Martinez was a power hitter. Jorge Posada was not considered a power hitter. He hit He would have seasons where he hit thirty home runs. I mean, yeah, he still had like two hundred thirty something for his career. Yeah, but he wasn't a power hitter. Right. Paul O'Neill, when he came to the Yankees, he hit for average. He wasn't considered a power hitter. 
In 96, when they brought Wade Box, Wade Box wasn't a power hitter. Wade Box was never a power hitter. I'm either. just saying. Yeah. Go look at all those players on those teams. They were all mainly hit-for-average type of players. It was only till 2009 when the Yankees said, you know what, we're going to add Mark Teixeira. We're going to add, you know, in the early 2000s, we're going to add Alex Rodriguez. But Alex still hit for average. Teixeira didn't. He was a power hitter. Right. The game has changed. And with the new rules and the shifting and everything, it's ruined the game. Now they're taking shifting out. Next year. And I think it will add more offense. It will open up the game for the Yankees, for everybody else. But right now, Aaron Judge is going to be asking for over $300 million. He is going to be 31 years old when the season starts next year. As good of a player as he is. The Yankees cannot overpay one player. That is not going to get them over the hump. The Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009. It is the longest drought in Yankee history. They're going on a significant, I think it's now 13, going into their 13th year where they haven't won a World Series. Yep, and five ALCS losses in that span. If I were the Yankees, I would let him go to San Francisco. You won't have to play him a lot. You'll probably see him once a year. Maybe twice a year. He's in the National League. I, 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 just, I just don't think it's smart for the organization anymore. Brian Cashman, if he comes back, which more than likely he will, there has to be some kind of thought on where we're going as an organization. Where the Yankees want to go as an organization. They have... Obviously, Cole. Savarino let go. Let go of most of the pitchers that became avail- are going to become available this offseason. Let them go. Right now, this team needs to figure out what their identity is. So if the Mets want them, take them. Take them. And yes, I'm reading Keith and what he's saying. He's a great glove. He's a great power hitter. That's great. One player is not going to help this team win a championship. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, he was one of the worst players on the field throughout the playoffs. And again, it's all those strikeouts, too. Those are going to add. How many times so, did he strike out this year? Uh, what was in it? the playoffs? 18 I times? Was, I, think it, I think it was 17 times, yeah. So, it, again, that's not going to help you. I know, Keith, you were also mentioning, too, that it, it's not as valued batting average, which is, which is fine. But, again, you still have to get on base and you still have to make contact. A lot of these heavy strikeout teams do not win championships either. And that is the main issue with the way the Yankees have had approach. Now, again, there are seasons where it looks like the Yankees aren't striking out as often, which is definitely ploy, but which is definitely plausible when it comes to that kind of thing. But you also have to translate that into the postseason. It doesn't seem like they're changing their approach very much, with the exception of a couple hitters. Anthony Rizzo looked like he was doing it for a little while in the Cleveland series. Then all of a sudden, he started striking out a ton. Glaber Torres looked like he was doing it for a little while in 2020. Okay, and then certain parts of this year. But again, not the whole time. And that's the big problem with the Yankees' approach. You can't just bring in guys with that kind of 
I guess, background and expect it to work. You still have to have that approach yourself, too. That's up to your organization. That's up to your hitting coaches. And that's the biggest issue why the Yankees have still gotten not gotten over the top as well. Uh, Keith also had another question for you. Uh, why, do you why didn't you like Jeter? I need to know. <laughs> All right. I know a lot of people love Derek Jeter. And I've met Derek Jeter four times. And I've interviewed him two out of the four times. And Derek Jeter was not a very sincere person to interview. Okay, Alex Rodriguez was. He seemed like he was more down to earth, willing to talk. Derek Jeter wasn't. And, and there was something about Derek Jeter I just didn't like. And he, he took over the captaincy of the Yankees. I was a Don Mattingly fan. Right. I, I, didn't, I thought Donnie was, was God when I was a kid. I, I, I loved Donnie baseball. So I always thought, you know, Derek Jeter taking over from Don Mattingly. And, and, and Don Mattingly never won a championship. And then Don Mattingly decided to retire after 95. Never got a chance to experience winning a championship in 96. It, it just put a, a lousy, you know, taste in my mouth on Derek Jeter. Not, and it's not all Derek Jeter. I thought Derek Jeter was one of the best clutch hitters I've ever seen. He really was. Uh, fantastic clutch hitter. But... Donnie Baseball was my man, and I, I love the guy. And uh, by the way, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet when you meet Don Mattingly. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just wasn't a big Derek Jeter fan. Everybody says, well, I, I just never thought he was as great. as Is he a top five shortstop of all time? No, I don't think he was. Yeah, there's a lot of people that think that way, too. And it's just because of the namesake. And sometimes they do, do I think he was one of the, the most popular players of all time? Absolutely. Of course. Now, I would say definitely a top 10. But, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't think top no, five. No, I, think he's, I yeah. think he's a top seven. Yeah, okay. Top seven. I, I think you can, you can argue that Derek Jeter is six or seven right now of all time, shortstops. Right. But there were so many great shortstops in the time that we weren't even alive. Exactly. And he was a winner, no question. Mm-hmm. He won five championships and should have won, really, seven or eight. The Yankees choked yeah. in the World Series twice. Marlins and Diamondbacks were both very inferior teams at the time. And, again, the, 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 I think they were both wildcard teams, too. And the Yankees, I guess, took them for granted or choked or whatever. I, I can't say that Derek Cheat is top five easy. There's no No, it, it's not easy. Again, it, it, it's something in the realm of there's a lot of people that could either range him from number three to number seven, number eight all time. It's a very shortstop is a very deep position when it comes to all time. And again, somebody like Derek Jeter that, yeah, definitely is elevated with the championships, but also not elevated with something like the power or something like the fact that you always say dogs too, like the Yankees had all those loaded lineups around him too. Like there's definitely arguments for putting him against somebody like Cal Ripken Jr. or somebody like Ernie Banks, if you want to go back for yeah. that. So who Ernie Banks was one of the first power hitting shortstops Really trendsetting in the '60s too, and yeah, he didn't go to a championship because the Cubs always choked. Listen, too. To this. they they could they look at WAR as a very important number absolutely now in, in professional baseball history, and and I'm looking at the wars of the top shortstops of all time. Okay, you ready? All right. Number one, Honus Wagner. Okay, one twenty-seven point two. Okay, number two, Cal Ripken, ninety-two point five. Number three, Robin Yout, 73.8. Number four, Ozzie Smith, 72.7. Number five, Luke Appealing, 72.6. Number six, Arky Verhan, 67.7. It, all the way to number seven, Derek Jeter, 67.6. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
I, I mean, that's just the war numbers. I mean, if you look at all the numbers, do I think do I think Derek Jeter was the greatest shortstop, most popular shortstop of all time? 100%. Yeah. 100%. The first thing that's going to pop into everybody's mind 20, 30 years from now when you, when you talk about shortstops is Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Right. Aaron Judge is not Derek Jeter. He's not. Different type of player completely. Derek Jeter was born a Yankee. He finished with the Yankees. Aaron Judge didn't grow up a Yankee fan. He grew up in San Francisco. He grew up a San Francisco Giant fan and a Boston Red Sox fan. He didn't like the Yankees. He was drafted by the Yankees. I think at number 26 or 27 or 24, wherever it was, in the 20s, in the first round. All I'm saying, and what is he saying? You can't judge uh, different eras. And you're probably right. Yeah, but again, you could also judge the type of player that he was. You still could analyze the skill sets comparatively. Yes, we've heard Ryan Spader all the time when we've had him on the show say that war can be interchangeable based on Mm -hmm. their formulas, the way they change it a lot of the time. So it can be misleading, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But still, you could also judge the numbers in terms of well-rounded stats. You could judge the accolades. You could judge the well-rounded game of somebody. Mm -hmm. Ozzie Smith was the best defensive shortstop anyone's ever seen. And his, he stole bases, too. He won he won championships as well. I mean, yeah, he didn't play for the mighty New York Yankees, but he played for a Cardinals team that is, has the second most. And nobody's time. taking shots at Derek Jeter. I think Derek Jeter was a fantastic player. And I've argued with this uh, with my friend Barry, who's a diehard Derek Jeter fan. He has pictures of Derek Jeter all over his house. He looks like he's, it's his lover, okay? He, I'm surprised he's not sitting there kissing Derek Jeter on the ass, Okay. And having Derek Jeter sign it. Yeah, his wife would never let him do that. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, I've never seen so many Derek Jeter things and memorabilia all over somebody's house. And he asked me, why do I not like Derek Jeter? I never said I didn't like him. I never said I didn't respect him. I just said I wasn't a fan of his. That's it. I don't know why everybody says, why do you hate Derek Jeter? I never said I hated him. Did I ever say I hated him? Right. I never said, I hate Derek Jeter. I just said I wasn't a big fan of his. That's it. Yeah, and again, you're going back to the eras, Keith, I, I, which is fine to mention Mine was that kind Paul, of thing. At that time, my favorite Yankee in those 90s Yankees, after Don Manley retired, was Paul O'Neill. And again, if you want to compare eras, Keith, it's fine. I don't, I've always been under the notion that you can't discriminate a player for a concept that wasn't known in the game. So you, you, you mentioned Honus Wagner having the most war mm-hmm. of, among a shortstop all the time. Yep. He played in the dead ball era where they had bigger parks. Home runs weren't as big of a deal. So I'm not going to discriminate against Honus Wagner for hitting less home runs because of that kind of thing, too. That the concepts aren't there. The same thing we talk about with certain basketball players, like somebody like Oscar Robertson when it comes to all-time point guards. Like, yeah, you can't discriminate against Oscar Robertson for not having a three-point line because he couldn't score. Like, or same thing with a shooting guard with somebody like a George Gervin or something like that. They could shoot. That's a skill set they have. And it's the same kind of thing with Derek Jeter's skills versus other shortstop skills too. <clears throat> Ernie Banks played in a, an era that wasn't big home run that he still hit some four hundred something home runs. Too. On this ESPN list, they have Honus Ra- Wagner one. Alex Rodriguez, number two. Okay. Ernie Banks, number three. Cal Ripken, number four. And then Derek Jeter, number five. They have Derek Jeter, number five. Okay. I, I don't think Derek Jeter's better than Ozzie Smith. I don't think Derek Jeter's better than Robin Yout. Okay? Uh, that's just my opinion. All of them are great players. Right. 
All of them are fantastic players. All of them are Hall of Famers. So, again, I I look at the game, yes, you can't compare and contrast errors. And I I don't know why we got into this, but I know, I'm sure Keith is appreciating this rant. Mm -hmm. But I just don't feel that Derek Jeter was the top five player of his position of all time. I just that's what I'm saying. That's right. all I'm saying. Which I think I get. A lot of baseball writers have thought that way too when it comes to ranking these shortstops. I will say this: he's the best clutch hitter out of all of them. Which is fair. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The best clutch hitter out of all of them. Right. And that's all, but that's one aspect of it, Keith. And that's what we were saying before too. You you look at it comparatively with skills that are all around like special with that kind of thing. Cal Ripken, Ernie Banks with the power, Ozzy Smith with the defense. Like, where is that special trait? Derek Jeter's special trait is the clutch. First of all, <laughs> Derek Jeter was a decent shortstop. Derek G didn't win a gold glove until Alex Rodriguez moved to third base. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Correct. Keith, did you know that? Alex Rodriguez, Nomar Garcia-Para, Nomar Garcia-Para and Alex Rodriguez dominated the American League for all those years until Alex was traded to the Yankees and he moved to third base. He was, yes. As soon as Alex moved to third base, you could look it up on his, in his baseball card. Go Google it. Derek Jeter never won a gold glove until Alex moved to third base. Mm-hmm. Never. Never did. Yeah, Alex when he started his career, too. Omar Vizquel won a couple, too. Uh, yes, that. Omar yeah. Vizquel did, too. I think Alex Rodriguez won seven gold gloves at shortstop in a row. In a row. Derek Jeter wasn't even the best shortstop on his team. He wasn't. Yeah, what did he say over here? He says overrated in the field. Uh, Jeter didn't have great range. Not comparatively. Yeah, no, he wasn't. We're not saying he's a bad defensive player. Yeah, he, he was fundamentally he was sound. He was good. Yeah, he was good. He no did a lot of fundamentally uh, fu- fundamental things. Correct. That was fantastic. Yep. I mean, the game against Oakland that that hip. What do they? What does he call that? The, the, the cutoff man. I call yeah. it the hitch pass. Yeah, but yeah, that stretch cutoff man. Random th- the, the 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 throwing it to the plate on a dime like the way he did. Yeah. I, I think I think everything that Derek Jeter has done, he did it in a moment that really stood out. Right. And that's what makes Derek Jeter special, is that he was a special player because of that. And he was a born winner. Yep. The guy was a winner. He was the Michael Jordan of our era in baseball. He he and, and if you check out his documentary, which I promoted very well yesterday, mm-hmm. he would tell you. He was never a winner until he went to the Yankees. He never won in Pee Wee. He never won in T-Ball. He never won in high school. He never won anything. He was on terrible teams in Michigan. Terrible. Until he went to the Yankees. That's when he started to win. Right. And again, that's one of those things that you're judging. How much do you put the accolades of the team in success into judging all time when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. We do it more in basketball, but not as much with the other sports because there's a lot of other uncontrollable factors. I look at a sport like baseball. I think baseball has the most uncontrollable factors too when it comes to pitching, where it comes to the spot that the balls hit, how hard, how these random bounces that could occur on a ground ball, on a, on a bloop single, anything like that. There's so many things that you can look at. I look at today's game too. How many different types of pitches can you throw now in today's game too? There's a lot of factors in baseball that don't get 
recognized as much. That's why a lot of the times, even if they're on those teams, they're not going to get the individual accolades as much as the team accolades, too. Like, a lot of those Yankees in the four championships, like, they're not all going to be Hall of Famers because of that, too. It's the same thing we used to talk about with Jeff, too. Like, why is the Hall of Fame discrediting a lot of the uh, the Patriots? Where is our in? buddy Jeff? Yeah, like, it's the same thing we talk about with that, too. To the other extreme, where they discriminate against that because of the thing, it shouldn't be like that bad, but it still has to be to an extent where nobody's going to say, for example, that Ty Law is a better cornerback all time than Darrell Revis. You know, it's so funny. We haven't heard from Jeff. I'm sure you've heard from him on Twitter. Yeah, he tags me on Twitter sometimes with different stuff. But he doesn't listen to the show anymore because me and him have our own differences uh, on and off air. And I listen, I apologize to Jeff, but Jeff just liked to attack people all over this show, and it's a shame because I thought Jeff was a good fan and he had his own, uh, you know, his own personality on and off, on air. Uh, He was fantastic in a conversation when it came to sports. He just... He, he always mocked somebody that was on the show. Oh, you should have seen him on Tuesday. He was venting about Clemson being number four in the first college football playoff poll, mm. which I agree with him on to an extent. Uh, with, uh, he was like saying that like 15 teams could have beaten, would beat Clemson on a neutral field if they played today. Like, yeah, I mean, even I don't know if I would go that far, but I did agree with him that that ranking was off. But still, what are, what is your thoughts to this World Series? Are, are you surprised that it's 2-2? Are you surprised that the Astros are – Really limping through this series? I'm surprised at how bad the offense has been when it comes to the end of games. Because the Astros, when they were winning the games in the previous two series, were hitting towards the end of the games. The Seattle series, a lot of their offense came towards the end of the game. They didn't really blow them out a lot. And same thing with the Yankees series, too. They had a lot of hits later on in the games. The Yankees starting pitching did particularly well. And you're seeing that kind of die out against a Phillies bullpen that's not that's not what they're known for. The Phillies bullpen, I'll give them a lot of credit. They've pitched very well. I think Rob Thompson, like Charlie was saying yesterday, was was very strategic in terms of getting the best matchups for their best relief pitchers, not having to just say, all right, this guy's a seventh inning guy. We have to wait till the seventh inning. No, I think they've done a great job with that. But still, Houston's offense with a lineup, again, I'm not going to say they're like the juggernaut lineup, but they're well-rounded. It's just surprising that it's the bottom of their order war and Pena and a couple other guys that are getting it going. It's not very consistent, which you would expect more in the end of games. I think it's so ironic <laughs> that, that there are two Mets starters, Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler, that are playing for this Philadelphia team, and they're two wins away from winning a world championship, and they'd be the first two starting pitchers of that Mets rotation to win a championship if it does happen. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Remember uh, that powerful rele- that, that starting rotation? Yeah, that everybody was, was 2015. It was 2015. You had Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard. Uh, you had Mats. You had such a great and rotation. Bartolo Colon. <laughs> and Bartolo Colon. And everybody was talking about this team winning championship after championship with the talent that they have in this rotation. They didn't win one. Yep. They didn't win one. And now they have two players that are arguably um, stars on, you know, different respectable teams. And actually, uh, a team that is in the same division as the Mets. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say Syndergaard's a star, but Wheeler is. Wheeler's definitely a star, yeah. without question. But yeah, Cinder- Syndergaard, he's improved his pitching style a little bit this I year. I think he's a star when it comes to the press and being an idiot. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, Mr. <laughs> Thor himself. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's another story. Now, again, his craft this year, I think, has definitely been improved from what the Mets coaches were having him do. I thought he was, a lot of the times he was overthrown with the Mets. I saw a stat uh, they showed during the World Series that his pitching percentages in terms of which pitches he used the most, the highest was 31 with his two-seam fastball, which with the Mets, a lot of the times he was overthrowing the four-seam fastball where those ratios were off. So I'll give him credit in that regard. But, yeah, again, in terms of the Mets just losing all these guys and not knowing how to develop them or – Knowing how to develop them and then they get hurt, that's a whole other issue that they have. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Aaron Judge and also there are other pitchers, too, that they're going – these other big contracts they are going to have to work. If those guys get hurt, like Max Scherzer, like Jacob deGrom, it doesn't amount well for a good formula for being able to win. Look at the Braves. They have – two guys go down. They have the next guy up. They have good depth in their farm system. They have controllable depth. But I've been saying that about the pitchers that the Mets have. Max Scherzer is an old man. Uh, you paid an old man. Right. Uh, I, I, what is he, 38, 39 years old? He's going to be 39 at the start of the season. $43.5 million a year for the next two and a half years. So what, is that, what does that do to your organization if this guy doesn't produce? What it does is it shows that the Mets organization is just throwing away money, which they've mm-hmm. done year in and year out. Even the Will Ponds, when they actually had money until they threw it away to uh, you know a guy that uh, yeah. you know, died in jail, and mm-hmm. everybody knows who I'm talking I'm not even going to give him an opportunity to promote him uh, Mr. Byrne. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think when you look at the the Mets organization as a whole, it, it's not always the right thing to do to go out and spend money. It, it isn't. Right. And right now, the Mets farm system is really, really bad. Uh, it's obviously what Brody Van Wagenen didn't really build or rebuild that farm system. He gave some good players. He drafted some good players. But he really didn't rebuild that farm system. And they don't really have anything in their farm system. So now, you know, with Steve Cohen, he's got to, you know, open up his pockets like he's done over the last couple of years and start not only pay his own players, but he's got to go out fishing for players that uh, make sense when it comes to this cap and whatever his cap is this year, which they already said that they're going to go over the cap again. Yeah, again, it seems likely. It's just a matter of how how they strategize that money to an extent, too, because we were talking about it with Aaron Judge. Like, Mm -hmm. Aaron Judge is going to take a lot. He's not going to the Mets. I don't think he is either, because now you're taking on a bidding war. A bidding war implies that's going to be a lot higher than the market value, which projected as of last week was eight years, 320 from what I read. And that means if you're going to, you're going to probably leapfrog at least 20 million more for the first phase of it. So if you get in a bidding war and who says it's just the Yankees that are going to be in it, what if the Red Sox get involved? Their ownership loves to spend money too. Obviously San Francisco is the favorite, but again, you're looking at a case of if the Mets are not going to get involved in that, how are you going to spend the money in the other places? Which I think is a smarter approach anyway. They said they're going to prioritize paying Edwin Diaz and Brandon Nimmo. That's a start. Can they get the pitching elsewhere when it comes to depth? Obviously, the bullpen is always. They didn't mention back. Jacob Degrom. They so. did not mention Jacob Degrom because he's a very he's he's at a very weird spot right now because of the way the organization has treated him. All the weird. Injury timing more than anything else. You know, it would be really funny. He decides to go to the Atlanta Braves, and if he goes, Which is to, very possible. And if he goes to the Atlanta Braves, the Mets have to see him. What uh, he they play the Braves 15, 14 times a, a season. Yeah, they would have to see him at least three times. The Mets do not want to see Jacob Degrom in the playoffs. They do not no. want to see Jacob Degrom in the playoffs. Uh-huh. And the Braves, when you look at the way they build, it's a lot different of a structure. And that's why I mentioned when we had Charlie Slows on yesterday mm-hmm. that the Mets are still not considered a well-oiled machine when it, in, when it comes to baseball because of that. 
they have their high market equivalent of the Dodgers that in addition they spend money, they also know how to rebirth random guys. The Astros and the Braves are probably the middle market equivalent to that, and the Rays are the low market equivalent to that, where they know how to consistently grind out players even if they trade other guys away. The, Mets the Braves haven't... do not have a big cap. They, right. they don't. They, they actually, they've built around youth, and I could see them spending a little bit of money, overpaying Jacob deGrom to bring him over there to be their ace with that young rotation, having Jake as their, their lead anchor. I mean, forget it. I, I mean, who's going to beat them? Right. Who's going to beat them in the National League East? And that gives them the leeway in order to make that kind of move. Because the Braves in the past, they've had top 10 payrolls. Like, their ownership has never been passive when it comes to spending. A, it's tough. Again, it's tough the way they've been able to build because they have to pay all these young players at once. But look at the way they've balanced it all. That gives them that kind of leeway. Now, again, they're going to have to overcome those obstacles with having all the young players paid at once. But that also balances it out where they can get team control later and then still kind of make that big swing, too. And we haven't seen other teams be able to do that approach as well as the Braves have done. Now, the Mets, again, everyone's saying, okay, they should try to duplicate the Dodgers approach. Yeah, that's easier said than done, though. When you look at when you look at the Dodgers and all the players that they've gotten from other teams and being able to just make good. Look at Justin Turner is a big, big example of that. Also, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, a lot of the pitchers, too, that come from other teams. The Mets haven't done that kind of thing. Where is that? And that's why I don't know if Aaron Judge makes a lot of sense unless they're going to have to rely on that whole process to do that. James Harden likely to miss at least two months for a foot tendon injury. I, I mean, I feel bad for James Harden. He was starting off pretty strong. He's been the best player for the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, everybody thought that Joel Embiid and obviously Maxwell was the centerpiece of that team. Well, so far early this season, it's been really James Harden. James Harden's been the best player on the court, and maybe his transition and having a full se- full season, a healthy season on this Philadelphia 76-year team, uh, we- we've seen a different James Harden. Um, it's a shame that they're going to be missing him for two months. That's a significant loss. You're not going to see him until the month. It's somewhere between January and February, so uh, it's a shame. It really is, and uh, does this hurt the 76ers? The 76ers are not playing good basketball. Nope. They're not. And And it's not because of James Harden, okay? It's not. It's because of the whole team. They don't have enough. The depth that they have is not enough to get over the hump against some of these better teams that have all the depth. And they've lost against teams that they should beat, you know? So uh, they don't play defense. That's a huge problem. Doc Rivers, who loves to preach defense, a.k.a. uh, the Boston Celtics, uh, which he wasn't really the defensive guy. It was Thibodeau. So... I mean, and even the Clippers, he wasn't the the defensive guy over there. So is Doc Rivers on the hot seat? When James Harden comes back, is Doc Doc Rivers coaching this team? Right. That's going to be the question. And this is another guy, too, in James Harden that has also had problems in the past with not only injuries, but also the weight issues he had a couple times, too, when he was with Houston. And even when he came over to the Nets, too, he was looking like that as well. How would that kind of injury affect – down the road, his overall physical health type thing. He's already an older player. He's already a player that looked pretty limited last year, especially in the playoffs. He was looked like he was the third option for the for the net or for the seventy sixers in the playoffs last year. Tyrese Maxey was outplaying him by a long shot, and then Embiid was playing pretty good too. So you're looking at a case where that's going to diminish the value. And this is a guy who just extended for two more years too. So now you're dealing with all that money coming off, and you're trying to 
build a mold of a championship caliber team where you already made a lot of these old school mistakes that have not really boded well for these championship teams. And I'm not saying they're obviously they're not as bad as what the Nets are going through right now, but they've also had a lot of big contracts they're going to have to maneuver too. And that's where it really lies to the 76ers not being able to build depth. They got PJ Tucker in the offseason, Nice, but still not great. And offensively, and now Doc Rivers on the hot seat too. If they do fire him, are they going to get a good coach? I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with Doc Rivers, and I don't I don't know what's going on with the 76er team. But again, the 76ers are trying to figure out uh, what their identity. Now, maybe with James Harden out for two months, uh, this becomes Joel Joel Embiid's team again, where he can, you know, be the centerfold of this team because. James Harden was averaging 26 points a game. I think it was 25, 26 yeah. points a game, uh, almost uh, seven or eight assists and, and about seven or eight rebounds. He was having an all-star slash MVP kind of season before he just hurt his tendon. That's a huge loss, especially losing a player of that magnitude. So I, I, I'm interested to see what this – maybe Philadelphia is better now that James Harden's out. He doesn't play defense. There are some weaknesses about him being on the court. And, and, and again, they depend on his offense. Maybe taking him out, it'll, it'll, it'll help uh, bring up uh, Harris again and obviously Maxwell and Joel Embiid can take over this team and be the leader that we think he could be. Right. Again, team basketball is always something that the 76ers have had trouble with in the past, too. And James Harden, he always leads the league in usage rate, and he holds the ball very long, mm-hmm. too. And then maybe that kind of thing does end up helping. We'll see. But, again, the Sixers have never been that kind of team where they've preached that kind of thing either. They always have somebody just try to be the ball-dominant guy, whether it is Embiid. <laughs> and then, again, this is not Embiid last year that was nearly an MVP. This is Embiid of the past. That was a great player, but... Still not a complete player where you can Averaging trust to do that. Averaging 22, 7, and 10, which is fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay. I did 10 rebounds? 10 rebounds. Wow. No, 7, seven rebounds, seven 10 rebounds, assists. assists. Okay. Wow. That's still actually it's still actually better than I thought considering that Embiid's uh, had – I think he's already missed four games with injury issues this year. Mm-hmm. Tobias Harris is very streaky as it is. And all of a sudden you're dealing with a case of new guys coming in that – you don't know if you're going to be able to get the depth to make that kind of thing work. And I Joel Embiid's averaging 27, 9, and 3. So, and jo- Joel Embiid's having a great season, too. Uh, it's, it's interesting when you look at the teams that are in front of them, even teams that are behind them. Uh, the Eastern Conference is so open. It's so open. And we expect this to go on all season long. The Knicks lost last night. Uh, they're 3 and 4. So, uh, and also, uh, the Knicks need to figure out what their identity is. Okay, I've been I've watched them twice, and in the seven games this year, I've watched them two times. Okay, and and Jalen Brunson's definitely give gives them a, a logical position, you know, point guard which they haven't had since Charlie Ward and Chris Childs. Okay, and that's not saying much because he's better than both of those guys. Right. But you have guys like uh, Mr. Bricklayer himself, and everybody knows who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett, who I thought was going to take that next step this year. R.J. Barrett has not had a, a good first seven games. I'm, I'm, I haven't looked at his numbers, but uh, I'm going to bring up his numbers right now. R.J. right now, um, in, uh, in the first seven games, is averaging 17.9 points, five rebounds, and two assists. I expected R.J. to take that leap. Last year, he was averaging about 17, 18 points a game. Okay. I expect RJ to average 22, 23 points a game this year and about seven rebounds for his size. RJ is not turning into the star that we thought he was going to be. Now, he got a logical, good contract by the New York Knicks, 
But they depended on this guy. They had a chance to go after you-know-who. Mm-hmm. And right now, he's rocking in Cleveland. Yeah. He is rocking in Cleveland right now. Donovan Mitchell. So, did the Knicks make the right choice not making the move for Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell wanted to be here. They All the Knicks had to do was trade R.J. Barrett and a couple of picks. They would have did it. So, it, it, it's so interesting how the NBA falls. And, and, and listen, I, I, I'm not going to take shots at the Knicks that they didn't make that move. I'm not. But it, it, it definitely gets you sitting here and worrying about where this organization is going when you look at all the other teams and the aggressive nature and the growth of those teams, uh, how they've grown over the last couple of years. Yeah, we de- we've definitely seen aggressive things work, too, in the NBA when it comes to getting the veteran player in there and making it work with the Raptors doing it with Kawhi Leonard, for example, definitely getting them the championship that they so badly craved. And the Cavs now are trying that kind of approach with Donovan Mitchell. And Atlanta tried it now with DeJounte Murray. There's a lot of teams that are doing it that are having a little more success. And the Knicks, again, they're trying to do it with Jalen Brunson. Now, Jalen Brunson wasn't thought of in the same level as Donovan Mitchell, but it has some traits I have a question for you. Yeah. If the Knicks don't make the playoffs this year, do they fire Tom Thibodeau? Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Yeah, because at that point, you have to realize that the two years ago, four seed doesn't look as good when it comes to what they were winning on or what the other teams weren't doing type thing. And you're looking at circumstances that weren't sustainable at that point. And in the NBA, yeah, there's not as much parity, but you're definitely seeing some younger players, younger teams still take over. And Tom Thibodeau is not exactly ideal for the circumstances of younger teams. Mm. See what he's doing with Opie Toppin. And they're they're saying Opie... This after this year, it becomes a free agent, or uh, I guess what do they call it? They they own his bird. Yeah, rights. they have the they have the rookie they have the rookie deal that they have to make, which is what RJ Barrett just got. So they have to do that kind of thing with Toppin now. It's weird because other sports have allowed the extra year with the eligibility because of shortened seasons too, especially in baseball and, and in hockey, but baseball especially with the new lockout rules. But still. NBA has not allowed that kind of thing. And I don't know, depending on how Obi Toppin is going to play this year, if he's going to be eligible for the same deal that R.J. Barrett got. I doubt it because Tom Thibodeau still has been reluctant to give him consistent minutes. It looked like he was in the beginning of the season. All of a sudden, he stopped. And Randall's not having a good season either. I no. mean, 17-8-3. and, uh, eight and three. What is his shooting percentage right now? His, uh, his free throws are 69%. His three-point shooting... His three-point shooting in the last 10 games is 20.7, which is horrible. Um, mm, 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 32 minutes. 42 points. Uh, oh, no, that's career. That's career field goal percent. No, no, it's 42% right now. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So a little, like, one percentage point better than last year is basically what you're dealing with when he was incredibly inefficient. So uh, what do the Knicks do with him? If 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 he's not getting better, and, and do they trade him, and who wants him? Who's going to take this guy in his contract? The Knicks still have him for two more years. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? And this is a guy that's another. Uh, I would sit him. I would play Obi Toppin. Yeah, I would give him that. a chance, and I w- see what you have with him. Every there's a lot of teams that like Obi Toppin. They like him. And I'll tell you this right now: if he starts, he plays 32 minutes a game. I bet you he averages more than 17 points. Mm-hmm. No, no, he definitely does because you're looking at a plus minus of plus 20 right now for a guy that doesn't play 
the consistent amount of minutes you want. That's tremendous value on the court. We always knew he was a good passer. We always knew he was a good scorer. Like his raw shooting isn't amazing per se, but you're looking at a guy that definitely brings team value too. So if you're p- playing him on a 28, you don't have to necessarily r- run him out 30 plus minutes every night, but 28 minutes that you're playing with the starters. He's playing 19 minutes per game. Okay. Yeah. He's averaging almost 10 points, almost four rebounds, and almost two assists. I, I mean, that's those are good numbers. So if he was playing 30 minutes, he's averaging almost 20 points a game. He's averaging almost eight or nine rebounds a game, and he's averaging probably around three or four assists a game. So he's averaging almost a double-double. He is averaging a double-double practically. Mm-hmm. Imagine what that could be in more minutes and with starters is a upgrade for his development, too, for a guy that was one of the best overall prospects. And he's only 24 years old. Correct. And a guy that I've always said has a big bas- great basketball IQ, too. A guy that's a very smart passer. Yeah, he's not a prolific shooter like a lot of these other big men that come into the league now. But again, we knew that coming in with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. That's why he fell in the draft. Because of that. And he's also a little older. That probably was a reason he fell in the draft, too. He drafted Slap me, right Charlie, side. and call me Susie. <laughs> but still, like this is a guy that still deserves playing time. It's, he's not, he wasn't a raw prospect that took forever to develop, too. He wasn't an 18-year-old that needed to grow into his body. Obi Zappin's already a big guy, strong guy. And again, he's got a tremendous, well-rounded skill set. He's not a specialist. He's not a guy just in there to rebound or just in there to block shots or whatever. This is a guy that could do a lot of different things, too. So it makes no sense why Tom Thibodeau is not only limiting his minutes, but reducing his minutes seemingly every game. Speedy, quick. Favorite movie. Favorite movie. Quick, hurry up. Oh, God. Spit it out. Uh, What are you thinking? I said the first movie, favorite movie that pops in your head. Spit it out. What are you thinking about? What are you lost? Yeah, uh, Coach Carter. I'll go with good movie. Coach Carter. That that's your favorite. movie. I, it's a good movie. I, the first good movie I thought of. Oh my god! Uh, the first. I didn't ask for sports. I said whatever movie it pops in your head. Mine's Jerry Maguire. Okay. Jerry Maguire has always been. I could I could go word for word with that movie, Gus. Word for word, it's one of my favorite movies. I always wanted to be a sports agent. And now, you know, hiring an agent, firing, firing an agent that's actually going to help you and re- help you recruit a position, you know, around the country. It's it's definitely not that easy. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Jerry Maguire. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. What, where's our guest? I don't know. Lance, I'm not sure. He was supposed to come in at 10. Uh, I might just tell him to come in at 11 now if he can because Clay's on at 1030. That's what we're waiting on right now. Mm-hmm. Do you want to recap the remainder of the games we didn't get to yesterday? Yeah, why not? Uh, until Clay comes on, and I'll try to figure out with Lance if he'll come on later, if that's the case. Did he know to come on? Yeah, yeah. He, he said he got the link. He's ready to go earlier today, but I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's having any technical issues. Hopefully he's okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll find out later. But, yeah, I guess we'll recap for the last 10 minutes or so before Clay mm-hmm. comes on. The uh, remainder of the games we didn't get Let's to Let's spit it out, Speedy. Yes. <laughs> so... The, uh, we got to most of the 1 o'clock games mm-hmm. from last week. Uh, the 4 o'clock games, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, your boy, Derrick Henry, running all over the Texans again. But <sighs> was closer than expected. They won uh, only 17-10 to 10 in that week uh, week 8. So Put the football game on, Speedy. What are you doing? I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch some football tonight. Mm-hmm. I, I, this baseball game is getting me sick. Uh, why? Because uh, your Phillies are not winning... They're not my Phillies. Yeah, they're essentially your uh, your bandwagon Phillies. They're not. Hold on one second. Why? Because I'm 
a Philadelphia Eagles fan after the Jets. I'm a bandwagon fan. I don't know. You're seeming to be a... Put the game on. You're seeming to be a uh, bandwagon Phillies fan just because you were right about them. No, I'm just saying I, I'd rather see them. Who would you rather see win a championship? I, no, I understand. You're a Yankee fan. I, I, I get that. I'm kidding. But uh, going back to the, the Titans. This Texas is a good game, game, by the way. 21-14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Texans. Look at that beard, by the way. Yeah, he's, Look at that beard. He's trying to get to uh, Lovey. Looks Lovie, like Santa Claus. Lovey Smith's trying to get to the uh, the beard that we saw with Tony Lippett yesterday. We had him on it's the show. It's a nice beard. It's very uh, well kept. Yeah, very it's si- nice. Very similar, but very sophisticated. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But I'll give the Texans defense some credit the way they hung in last week. But the Titans offense, they got to find something besides Derrick Henry because this kind of thing is not sustainable. Malik Willis got the start, but he only threw for 55 yards and did have an interception, which is not ideal. Eric Henry, Lou in the low, 219 yards. Yeah, listen, I, I, we could go up and down what Derek, Derek Henry is. And Derek Henry is one of the better running backs in the NFL. They played the Texans last week, okay? They're not a good team. Now, tonight, they have a chance to knock off the Eagles. They will probably come short in this game. And I like Mills. Honestly, when they talk about who's the best quarterback in this draft class, I, I would put Mills in, in the conversation. He's... He's been more consistent than any of the quarterbacks. So, but yeah, Derrick Henry ran all over the Texans last game, and uh, obviously it wasn't the quarterback play, that's for sure. So, uh, the Texans knock off, uh, I mean, the, the Titans knock off the Texans. Mm-hmm. Commanders had an ugly one against the Colts when I was venting about with my uh, fantasy team yesterday, 17-16. Uh, the Colts, yeah, they're dealing with all, a lot of... Issues with their offense. Now Jonathan Taylor, even this week, might not even play as well. Their offensive line continues to have some trouble. And the Commanders, the last couple of weeks, they've been able to stop the run. Even when Taylor was playing, they still contained him well. And they contained the Packers last week, a good rushing offense. So that's something they could definitely find going forward if they can get their secondary and their pass rush going. Chase Young has still really not been on the field yet, and they haven't gotten the depth elsewhere. Offensively, there's still Taylor Heineke interception crazy, but they're running the ball well, so they're hanging in there for now. We'll see. Who are you talking about? Commanders. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a horrible game, by the way. And the Colts, I don't know what they're going to do. And I haven't heard from Ryan Hickey. Uh, what is Ryan Hickey talking about on his uh, horseshoe show? I mean, the season's is, over. <laughs> their season is over. They're, they're not going anywhere. And with the AFC as strong as it is in so many different ways, and there are not many great teams in the AFC, but there are many teams that are, have four to five wins already going into their, their bye week. So I, I would say the Colts season is over now that Matt Ryan's going to be sitting on the bench all for the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, uh, the Commanders, uh, McLaurin had a pretty good game. And by the way, uh, yes, Henke, Henneke uh, is, is taking over for the quarterback position. I, I think Carson Wentz is going to lose another job yet again. So uh, could you imagine the Commanders make the playoffs with Henneke as their starting quarterback. That would be something. He just started a playoff game two years yeah, he ago. Did. And, I, and he almost beat Tampa, too. Played well in that first half of that game. Yeah. So made that game a lot closer than a lot of people thought they was going to be. I wasn't high on Tampa that year anyway, but still, like a lot of people were having them as like a Super Bowl run and obviously won the Super Bowl. But that ended up being a rockier road than the NFC, the NFC, the next game against the Saints and even a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. which was weird for a team that was... A losing record. Uh, last of the 4 o'clock games, the San Francisco 49ers blowing out the L.A. Rams 31-14. to Christian McCaffrey doing something that has not been done since Ladanian Tomlinson in 2005. A passing touchdown 
to Brandon Ayuk, a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown. He may, certainly making his presence felt even without Debo Samuel in that offense. And that's a big thing for the 49ers to be able to do because last year you saw certain instances, especially in the first half of the season, where they're very Debo Samuel reliant. And if they're not able to spread the ball around, it doesn't create for a good team offense. Now you're seeing a, a case where they were able to get other guys involved too and overcoming a lot of other injuries too on that offensive line. Jawan Jennings was not playing in that game, their third receiver. And got to give him a lot of credit in their defense. I mean, we knew that pass rush was going to be great. And the Rams, just they're still Cooper Cup or nothing right now, and they got to get other guys involved somehow. I, I, I don't fault Sean they're McVay done. completely. They're but done. They're done. He's got to find something. The Rams are done. They're not making the playoffs. Stick a fork in them. I ah. think they're done. I, 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 unless they have some kind of magical thing happens in, in their bye week, I think the Rams are done. Matthew Stafford is not 100% healthy. You can see that. Uh, Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback, and he has weapons over there. He can't throw the ball. He's having problems throwing the ball. And, and before the season started, Speedy, what did they say about him? Mm-hmm. Uh, his arm, he, his, his release, and all that other stuff. I really believe Matthew Stafford isn't 100%, and that shows on the field. They can't run the ball. They can't throw the ball. Their offensive line stinks. I, I mean, I don't know what's going on with this team. And Aaron Donald's having a good season, but he, he's not having one of those great seasons. He's not even amongst the league's best when it comes to sacks. So I don't know what's going on with this defense. They added Wagner. They added some of these weapons. Uh, Jackson uh, from the you know the Chargers, uh, a guy that a lot of people thought that the Rams were going to go after in the offseason. They didn't go after him. And, and the Rams overspent a lot a lot in that defense. and just hasn't worked out over there. Yeah. Um, the 49ers, they have Christian McCaffrey now. When Debo Samuel comes back and he's 100% healthy, watch out for this team. I, I think this is the this is the favorite to come out of the NFC. I don't care what anybody says. The Minnesota Vikings, I, do you think they match up very well against the 49ers? I think the 49ers match up a lot very well against the Vikings. I, I don't think there's any team right now besides the Eagles that could give the 49ers at full strength a challenge. I, I the 49 and by the way, when Williams comes back, which he'll probably be back after the bye week, they're going to have one of the more stronger left sides of an offensive line. I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know what's going to happen when this team actually figures things out with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the 49ers are a, a beast from the West. Mm-hmm. Not the beast from the East, the beast from the West. Well, they might have to go East if they have to play the Eagles in the playoffs. Uh, Sunday Night Football, the Buffalo Bills knock off the Green Bay Packers 27-17. to They've really just rallied around a big first half. Josh Allen didn't look good. He just, I think they got too conservative in the second half. They just again, He just looked like the, he was content with the first half the way it was and then looked sloppy in the second half. He looked like kind of 2019 Josh Allen-esque in the second half, but played great Everybody in the first Everybody was attacking half. Obviously, Zach Wilson all all week, but nobody said anything about Josh Allen's game. Two interceptions. What do you throw? Two hundred and ten yards. Yeah, again, he did nothing. Most, most of that was all in the first half. It looked like he just got too content with it, and then I'm just saying he did Buffalo, nothing. Then the Buffalo just said, "All right, you're not doing this anymore. You just got to run the ball," which they did to round out the game because the Packers' offense obviously didn't do anything, so they didn't really need to do anything. The Packers had that. a chance to come back in that game. Well, yeah, after after the interception, that that one big play. If but, Josh Allen does that this week, they don't win. They don't beat the Jets. Well, so, obviously, yeah. I, I'm just and, saying that. And Josh Allen, again, we it, it's not something that he's going to be recklessly doing in a close game either. It just seems like the Bills are they're on top of the world with everyone like projecting them in the Super yeah, Bowl. Everybody already. expects them to go to the Super Bowl. So but that was doesn't a, guarantee nothing. No, it, it it can't guarantee anything for a close game. Obviously, so they just got a little too uh, comfortable, I guess, in that first half, up 24 to seven, and they, you're right, it looked sloppy. Two really bad interceptions that we haven't seen from Josh Allen really since his second year in the league. He didn't look good. And and, and everybody was taking shots at Zach Wilson 
all week. And I think people have to look at Josh Allen. Everybody expects Josh Allen to get on the field for 300 and some odd yards, throw two touchdowns, three touchdowns, and dominate the game. He did not look good last week. He didn't. So no, he did not. That's just my opinion. All right, last game, Monday Night Football, the Cleveland Browns 32-13 to over the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, I mentioned it during my picks. Zach Taylor's going to have to actually coach, and he did not actually coach very well in that game. Very little creative concepts in that game. T. Higgins, who have to, have to really trust him as the number one receiver, they couldn't really get him off of Denzel Ward. He had a couple of nice catches on the sideline, but that was really it. Tyler Boyd, it only took him a while to get him going, probably in the third quarter. And then Joe Mixon, they still haven't been able to get him going all season. Yeah, I know the offensive line is bad, but these are these. Are, there's other coaches that have overcome this in the past, too, and they haven't really been able to find that kind of offensive groove. And the defense, they did all right against the pass, I guess, but they struggled against the run, which is odd for them. Nick Chubb had a big game in that, especially in that second Fantastic half. Fantastic game. He helped yeah. me very, very much against the Beeve this week. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with the Bengals. I, I just... Everybody expected uh, their their offense to be just so superior to everybody else. They added the offensive line help. I, I just I don't know what the Bengals are, and I don't know what the Browns are this year. I, I mean, if Deshaun Watson comes back and the Browns are, you know, five and six, I said that if they're close to five hundred and they get Deshaun Watson back, maybe they sneak into the playoffs. I think Deshaun Watson could really transition that team, but. What are the Browns? And they didn't trade it. They didn't trade anybody really at the trade deadline, like everybody was talking about. So it worries me with both these teams. And as good as the AFC North has been year in and year out, the Baltimore Ravens aren't uh, the top, uh, you know, top Angelinti, whatever. They, what, what, what is the word? Uh, juggernaut. Juggernaut of their division. Either the Bengals, the Browns, or Pittsburgh. They all stink. They all stink. <laughs> That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. I know Lance is ready to come in. Yeah, uh, but we have we have Clay at ten thirty. So, I'm, uh, Lance, we're gonna have to push you to eleven because he is has that a right? he has a show right after. He has to anchor a show, so uh, he can't, right. I can't really push him later. So, um, so we'll thank get you, Lance. Lance. Yes, thank you, Lance, for we'll, being flexible with us. We'll get Lance on at eleven o'clock. Maybe Lance will do his picks with us. That would be good. All right. We'll get Lance's uh, thoughts on all the games. This week, uh, we don't have Derek on, so we'll have Lance. And we'll we'll keep the score for Lance. Maybe he'll try to beat us this week. I, it hasn't been good for anybody that's actually faced us. So uh, I think the, the funny thing is I think the Broncos actually have a bye week this week. Well, uh, I think that's that's best for them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't pick the, we can't pick the Broncos to lose. I can't believe what's going on with the Broncos. Who would have thought this? I really thought the Broncos were going to win probably around 11 games this year. I said 10 or 11. That's where I thought they were going to be. And then, really, it's I'm not going to blame it all on Russ. Everybody wants to point their fingers on Russ. It's Russ's fault. It's this. It's that. I think there's a lot of dimensions you have to look at when it comes to the Broncos on why they haven't succeeded this year. And that's what we'll get into with Lance because uh, there's a lot. To, to argue about. I mean, they haven't used Williams enough this year. I, I thought Williams, I expected Williams to take that step forward to be one of the better backs in the league. And then you have Melvin Gordon complaining and bitching that he's not touching the ball. Then you have Hackett complaining, uh, you know, and I'm sorry, Melvin Gordon, ha you know, comp complaining to the press. So Hackett comes out and says that Melvin's our number one, which for what reason? Melvin. Melvin Gordon hasn't been the same running back since the Chargers. Right. I mean, honestly. Even his last year with the Chargers wasn't great either. I mean, he's, 
to me, he's a third string running back on any other team. And I thought it was one of the most skilled ones in the league, but it really hasn't showed it the last few years. I, I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe he's just washed up. I remember that draft. Uh, I thought he was better than Gurley out of that draft. I remember that. Gurley's retired. I know. <laughs> but like his peak years, obviously, were better than Gordon's. But still. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that team, man. Yeah. And then they trade away their best defensive player in Chubb, which, I, I mean, does it benefit them to do that? Well, they got a first-round draft pick for it. Uh, but Miami, uh, it, was, it wasn't even Miami's pick. So who, who's pick it's is it? It's the Niners' pick. So the Niners' pick. Which could be far back. It could uh, be far yeah. back. So what, what was the point of trading? I mean, Chubb was a top. Top twelve player that was drafted, mm-hmm. and 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 honestly, one of the better linebacking pass rushers in all of the NFL. And you traded him. I, I do believe the Broncos won that trade. It just, I, I don't know what they're trying to do right now. I understand they don't want to play. They didn't want to pay Chubb. And by the way, um, uh, by the way, he was extended today. Yeah, five years, one ten. Yeah. So, uh, which I I think he was a little bit overpaid. Uh, that's just my opinion. I. I do you think he was worth five years, 110 million? I, I do. I think really? that, I, a young pass rusher that's been durable and is well-rounded, too. I, I think he was worth that money. Because, that, again, I, it, it took him a little while to develop, but I, I, don't, I, I don't think he was overpaid when it comes to the market young pass rushers are getting now, too. And I think he's well-rounded. Like, he's a good physical guy. Like, he's not small. He's not, like, too big where he's not fast on the edge. He's a good, well-rounded pass rusher that I think the Dolphins definitely need and can play all over the place. I'm just trying to look at his numbers because – uh, it just he has five and a half sacks, so he's having a good season. There's no question that he is. He's playing on Broncos defense that's pretty damn good too. Uh, he's going to a Miami Dolphin team that needs pass rush. That's why uh, they made the trade. And and with the AFC East, with the running games, and and he's also good at stopping the run too. So, um, it's very interesting to see. What is going on with the NFL and the trade deadline? The trade deadline was so open. It was, it, was, it was fun. It was really fun to watch because the NFL is becoming the NBA now at the trade deadline where there's a lot of trades and a lot of transition for a lot of these teams that are going are fighting for a playoff spot or going to make the playoffs. So who do we have on the phone? Yeah, we got our guy, uh, Clay's on the phone because he couldn't do the audio. So we're going to. It's all right. We, we had that problem last time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. He's in the, he's actually has a show right after. So he's actually right. in the studio right now. So right. you want to just go to, you want to bring him in just Let's now? Let's bring or? him in. Let's okay. bring him in. All right, uh, Clay, you're in, you're in now. Clay, what's up, Hello? bud? Hey, how we doing tonight? We're good, man. I, I'm sure you're, you're doing pretty good after that trade. Yeah, man, it's been pretty busy down here. As you can imagine, uh, people are really excited inside and outside of the Dolphins building. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're starting to figure out exactly where the parade route's going to be for the Super Bowl. And, <laughs> uh, and thankfully, we've, uh, we, we've had some practice with the Miami Heat down here, so maybe just follow that route. Listen to him! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, know, we know Arrow won't be going there because he, no. he, he doesn't like the kind of climate. <laughs> no, I don't. And, uh, you know, I was in Miami for the... Uh, for the Super Bowl, it was crazy over there. So I know the traffic over there. The one thing I like about Miami is there's like to get into the city part. There's like six lanes, so uh, people drive like lunatics on you know all the way into the city. But it's faster. The, the traffic isn't as bad as it is here in New York. So that's a good. You point. know that's that's so true. It's a great point. And see, I don't uh, I don't travel into the city as much outside of for games when mm-hmm. I'm heading to work. It's it's just 95, but on the outskirts of the city. And so your point about how people drive down. It is the worst I have ever been on the planet. Like not just in the U.S. on the planet. It is unbelievable, and and yet 
uh, and yet here we are because of the weather and the people and all that good stuff. So everybody, know if everybody doesn't know, we are talking to WPLG, the Miami sport. In Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro, Speedy always fill. You know what's so funny about Speedy? I tell Speedy, make it when I when I'm trying to read off introductions and stuff like that. Make it easy for me to read read off, and he he adds words that make you know it doesn't fit together in a flow. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> Clay, we really appreciate you join us, uh, joining us. So why don't we get into it? Why don't we get into the Miami Dolphins? Uh, they made a big trade at the trade deadline. They added Bradley Chubb, one of the better linebackers in the NFL, five and a half sacks. Uh, he's been pretty dominant on a Broncos defense. That is one of the best defenses in all of the NFL. What were your thoughts when they made that trade? They gave up a significant amount. I, I know a lot of people don't care about the running back they gave up because he hasn't had much of a season, but yeah. they, they gave up a first round. They gave up a, what was it, a fifth-round draft pick? It was a fourth, and they got a fifth. A fourth yeah. and a fifth. So uh, what were your thoughts of the trade? Do you, you believe that this was a great trade for the Miami Dolphins? Well, I, look, I, I think it's great in this sense. They're all in. And I think for a Dolphins team that forever, it's been like, okay, we're kind of on the outskirts. Do we have a team that's good enough? Do we... No, they definitively believe that they have the talent in that building to make a massive run. And they're not just, I mean, Tua said it yesterday. And by the way, Tua is somebody who it, historically, he, he's opening up a bit this year. Mm. Uh, you know, he had kind of a, uh, a statement yesterday where they asked him where he thought he'd improved the, much, uh, the most over the course of this season. And he goes, well, I would say the deep ball, right? Right, guys, right? Uh, and you know, kind of like playing along with the uh, the criticism. Which, by the way, I've never I've never understood that criticism. His arm strength's always been fine. Mm-hmm. He's always thrown the deep ball fine, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, but I think what he said yesterday that I think raised some eyebrows was, you know, we are willing to talk about Super Bowls around here. Like it's not just a you focus on the moment and you focus on the task at hand and the opponent at hand, but. They are believing big things here. And and look, that doesn't mean that I think we're expecting them as much as I joked about the parade route to go to the <laughs> Super Bowl this year. And yet I do think that when you go out to practice, the talent level on this team has increased so much over what we've had here over the last few years. And so I think for the first time when, when people see that on the field, they think that it is finally a realistic possibility that and even if it's not necessarily this year, that they're building the sort of talent foundation where they can eventually get to that place. Hmm. Hmm. So what we were just discussing, actually, before you came on, uh, the contract that they signed, five years, 110. I think get, it was a lot. Yeah, to Bradley mm-hmm. Chubb. Did, I thought it was a good contract. Errol thought it was a lot. What did you think of it? Can I do both? And I'll tell you <laughs> Okay, go ahead. It yeah. was a lot. And, and, this is, and look, I know sports talk, right? Like the last thing you want to do is, is ride the fence on something. But – Tua is still on a rookie contract. Mm. And so where I think the the Dolphins have the benefit is they can afford to make either a few mistakes or overpay a couple of really good guys because once you sign Tua to that contract, then you can start to move around the bonus money so the cap hits don't necessarily coincide with each other. You can you can do it in a smart way where Bradley Chubbs is one year, maybe Tyree Kills is another year, and then two is it benefits you, the team, and the players buy in because man, they get their bonus money. Everybody's oh, you restructure your contract. Oh, so nice of you. It's so good for the team. No, you get all that money right now. The team's able though to move around the bonus money. And to me, guys, I think that's the big thing where Yes, I looked at it, I said, oh, that's a lot of money, especially for a player who has had injury issues in the past. And at the same time, you're like, okay, well, they have the benefit of mid-2010 Seahawks, where 
they were able to build the Legion of Boom and and pay guys a lot of money because Russell Wilson was still on that contract. You know, Clay, there's a lot of conversation over the last couple of weeks on the mishandled of Tua. I mean, they a lot of people thought that the coaching staff and the Miami Dolphins organization mishandled him when he was stumbling off the field the game before uh, the, I think it was Baltimore, was it Baltimore? Who, who, who? Bu- Buffalo. He, Buffalo. He, he, uh, Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. It was yeah. Buffalo. And then Buffalo in the first, first, I think it was the second quarter, where he got hit and then his hands locked up and, and he was definitely out for the count and it looked yep. horrible all over. I'm, as a matter of fact, they took... Those videos off of YouTube, that's how bad it was. The NFL tried wow, to. I didn't know that. Yeah, they took it off of YouTube because they didn't want people to see it. That's how just horrible it looked. Um, wow. What were your thoughts of, you know, obviously McDaniel speaking about this and, and, and really the organization as a whole? I, I mean, this was a this is a huge story, and they were investigated by the NFL. The NFL didn't really find anything as of right now. Uh, do you think they mishandled the Tua thing? So if you're – there's so many layers to this, and it's so complicated. I will say that I thought the criticism of the coaching staff and of Mike McDaniel, I thought that criticism was unfair because to me it's like you're asking the coach to play doctor. And and even he said, look, I, I, I can't like – I can't go to a doctor and say, oh, I don't believe if you want me to start diagnosing players and it's going to it's not going to end well for for anybody. Nobody wants that. So I thought that part of it was unfair. The rest of it, I don't know. Without being there, it it felt to me like the protocols failed, in which case, if you have a, a set of protocols and you're trained to do things a certain way and then something goes sideways, that, like the natural thing to me would be, okay, well, let's fix the protocols. And they seem to have done that. I mean, some people may think there's been an overcorrection there. Um, you know, we saw what happened with Teddy Brid- Bridgewater the next time out. So uh, to me, it felt more like uh, a league or a protocol failure than it did a team failure. Um, but again, that's without being there. I will say this. It, it is odd to me that you're taking the, the decision out of the hands of the doctors who are examining the player and putting a lot of power in the hands of somebody, a spotter who's like, you know, a couple stories up. Um, so, so to me, it, it feels like they're trying to change the protocols for the sake of safety, in which case you would kind of lean towards maybe it wasn't the team that, that, that messed up here. Um, and yet without being there, it really is impossible to say. We are talking to WPLG Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. So do, can you see that kind of thing either being punishable either for the ownership or maybe the coaching staff down the road if they – investigate further with this obviously with the concussion video being taken down they know about how they violated the protocols but do you see something long term where that kind of thing could happen no no and and i think if they took them the video i think it was probably because it was it was frightening it was scary to watch and the video that was taken down i mean they correct me if i'm wrong where his hands locked up that was against cincinnati the following thursday so look i my understanding, and Alan Sills from the league said this, Dr. Alan Sills, that he was tested for a concussion not only at halftime, but every day leading up to that game. Um, so they changed the protocols leading up to the Cincinnati game. And the investigation is done, to my knowledge, um, to every, everything that's come out is that the Dolphins and even the, the independent doctor seem to have followed protocols, but they just changed the protocols because they were like, all right, well, this obviously did not work. You know, it's so interesting when you look at the game and Tyreek Hill um, obviously going and getting traded over there from the Chiefs to Miami. 
was, was a big story in the offseason. It really was. And Tyreek Hill you know, spoke a high game about Tua and spoke a high game about this Miami Dolphins team, him and Waddle, how they're going to change the league, how they're going to dominate. And they really have. I, I mean, Tyreek Hill is having one of his best seasons. Uh, you're, you're going in, what, to week nine now? He has 961 yards. He leads the league in yards, yards per game, and he only has two touchdowns. Are you surprised that Tyreek has been dominant like this, even without Tua in the lineup? Yes, I think to, to this level, I will say this. Um, I, I was shocked by how good he looked in the preseason. I also was really surprised by when you heard other defensive backs. And I'm not even talking about with the Dolphins. I remember uh, the joint practices with the Philadelphia Eagles and with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, man, the look on the faces of, uh, I think it was Carlton Davis and Darius Slay when they were talking about <laughs> Tyree Kill, just how incredibly fast he is and just how he's different. Like when you hear players talk about opposing players like that, you raise an eyebrow. So I, I will say the the level to which he's playing, even with Tua out, is is pretty crazy. And yet I I had high expectations for him, even with how even even heading into the season, and he's somehow uh, surpassed those. Mm. So, in two of the losses we've seen so far this season, particularly the Minnesota one and the Bengals one, we've we've seen it where if they take out one receiver, while the other receiver might strive, and in both cases it was Hill, the team offense hasn't been as there when it comes to those because they scored 15 points against the Bengals and 16 against the Vikings. Do you think that's something that is going to be an issue for them in the playoffs if they do make it or even down the stretch of the tougher games? Well, I, yeah, I think teams are going to force them to play left-handed. I do think that there are some good uh, players on the depth chart that aren't getting quite the run. they got to prove it, and, and they have to prove it in, in a pretty high-leverage situation before you're willing to say definitively, yeah, these guys are able to do it. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to – look, I mean, you know, uh, if you follow, like, the Patriots, for example, they take away your bets. Mm-hmm. They make you play left-handed, and I think that's exactly what teams would try to do against them. As everybody knows, we are talking to WPLG, Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. Clay, uh, the AFC East has been fantastic to watch this year. I mean, the Jets have been fun to watch. I'm a Jet fan, as you know. Uh, Zach Wilson didn't look so good last week. A lot of people have been taking shots at him, but uh, nevertheless, they've been fighting with injury. Uh, Elijah Veritak is out for the season, all-pro player. Uh, Brees Hall was becoming a star right in front of our eyes. He's out for the season, but they added James Robinson, and then you have Miami. Uh, they're five and three. The Jets are five and three. Uh, you, you have Buffalo six and six and one, or whatever the heck their record is, and 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 then you have the Patriots that are now four and four. I think they are. Yes. So, I, I mean, the AFC East has been very dominant, and and, and quite possibly the way the season is going three out of these four teams can make the playoffs. Are you surprised that the AFC has been at the AFC East has been as dominant of a division out of all the conference? Well, yeah. And, and I think, I I think the, the dolphins in particular, it's like, if you had told me that, uh, that they would be where they are, that with to a hurt, then yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised. And I think a big part of that guys is, they did upgrade the talent level on this roster from top to bottom. And I do think that Chris Greer and Mike, Mike McDaniel deserve a ton of credit for that. I also think this, I think they've, you know, they're kind of benefiting the fact they're so great 
is because the AFC West has been so poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought they would be the the best division in football, and yet um, it's kind of gone the other way. So, look, I, I'm I'm extremely. I think there's reason to be optimistic if you're a Dolphins fan. I don't think you want to go too crazy with this thing yet, and think, uh, you know, that again, like you're going to the Super Bowl now because of what. And yet at the same time, man, it's it's a fun time to be down here, and I I think uh, I, I look for the first time. I think you you can say that, uh, uh, and I hesitate to say this, but it's <laughs> it's going back to where things were years ago, mm-hmm. where this may indeed be turning back into a football town a little bit. It's so interesting what's going on with Miami right now. It, it really is, and and Miami is one of the better teams right now in the AFC. They've shown that, and adding Bradley Chubb to that defense, a defense that has had problems getting to the quarterback, especially against teams that have good offensive lines. When they played the Jets. Uh, obviously, before Elijah Veritaka was hurt, they, they couldn't get to Zach Wilson. They couldn't hit Zach Wilson. And that was the benefit of having the offensive line that they had and moving Elijah Veritaka to the right tackle position. Now the Jets don't have it. They got to wait. They, they're going to have to wait until the, uh, the bye week to add George Font. And, and Max Mitchell might come back this week, but that, that doesn't sell me that this offensive line is going to be able to hold up against the. Uh, the powerful Buffalo Bills uh, defensive line. Now, we saw what that defensive line could do. Ask Aaron Rodgers what that defensive line could do. So uh, there's so much what we have seen in the AFC East and, and really the transition of the AFC East from the Patriots. The Patriots are not the dominant force they once were. As a matter of fact, the Jets were the better team on the field last week. They were. The Jets were better than the Patriots. If And I said this already. If that pick six was allowed, and that penalty did not happen by Franklin Myers, the Jets win the game. That's, that hurt the whole momentum of the game. And the Patriots knew that going into the second half where they had the ball, all they needed to do is get that field goal and get put some points on the board, uh, cut it down to 10-6, to 6, which they did, go into the half, and then, you know, Bill Belichick, he likes to clean up a little bit of the problems. They get the ball back, they take the ball all the way down, and they take the lead. As soon as they took the lead, they didn't look back. And, and it's not because of Mac Jones. It's not because of uh, the defense and, and the talent that they have. Because the Patriots really, uh, they do get a lot of the good calls. They do. And, and I don't care what anybody says. Bill Belichick, he always, he always gets these calls that it works in favor for the New England Patriots. We've seen it year in and year out. So I, I sit back and I argue, um, yes, he owns the Jets, Keith. And I know you hate the Jets and you have everything bad to – tear apart the New York Jets in their organization. Uh, your Giants, who did they beat this year? Who did they beat? Honestly, we sit here and, and, and you're going to say, oh, they, they beat the Green Bay Packers. The Packers stink. They beat Baltimore. They got lucky they beat Baltimore. And I'm not taking shots at the Giants. But to, to, do you think the Giants have more talent than the Jets? They don't. I'm not going to take shots at the Giants. I think Dable's a good coach. I think they've they figured out ways to win games that they shouldn't have won. And and, and I, do I think the Jets are going to win this week against Buffalo? Probably not. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Right now, Vegas has them 12-point 12 bo- 12 underdogs. I, I would bet on that. I would bet on the money line on that. Because the Jets are not going to lose by 12 in this game at home. They're not. I'm telling you, after the game against New England, there's no way the Jets are going to go into a bye, a bye week after that getting demolished by the Buffalo Bills at home. I think the Jets are going to put pressure on them. I think the Jets will 
will have a, a chance to win this game in the fourth quarter. It, it, it all matters about Zach Wilson making mistakes. If Zach Wilson stays mistake-free, they find a way to use James Robinson. He figures out the playbook, something that he didn't really understand last week. You could tell. Every time he touched the ball, he was running into the the defensive line. When when James Robinson figures out how to run in this offense, I think the Jets are going to be a lot better. Now, James Robinson isn't Brees Hall. He's not. And anybody that thinks that is nuts. Brees Hall is a game-changing back. He's an Adrian Peterson. He's the... Uh, Ladanian Tomlinson type of back. He can break your back with one play. You can ask Lance Sanderson when we get a, when we we get him in here. Before he got hurt in that game against the Broncos, uh, he had a 62 yard run. He and and it, could you imagine if he actually played for a full game in that game? He probably would have had 150 yards and maybe two touchdowns in that game. And and, and I've heard from the Jets uh, over the last couple of. Days, as a matter of fact, in the last 15 hours, that the Jets organization believed that Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker were going to be, will be at full strength next year before the season starts. Now, you sit here and you argue about what the AFC East is doing, what the AFC is. Everybody thought the AFC was going to just absolutely dominate what the NFC is. Now, the NFC really has, I would say, two good teams. That, that, that's where I would say they're at. The 49ers, I believe, are going to be better and better. When Debo Samuel becomes healthy, 100% healthy, with Christian McCaffrey, in, and then you bring back Williams. When Trent Williams comes back, probably after their bye week, they're going to have that. They're the, probably one of the best offensive linemen in all of football. I believe. Speedy, he's not, he's, we lost him. Yeah, I can't I can't get a hold of him. I'm sure if he wants to call back, he can call back. Okay. If he can't, you know, we lost him. We really appreciate uh, Clay Ferraro for joining us, and I know he's a busy guy, and um, we'll get him back maybe another week. It, it, it's fine. It, it's understandable, Speedy. Just put your headset on. Relax. Relax. There you go. But uh, getting back into it, I, I think when when you see what's going on in the AFC from the NFC – you, you know the powerhouse teams in the NFC. You have the 49ers right now, and you have the Eagles. That, those are the two powerhouse teams. Now you have the Giants that are 6-2. and two. You have – or 6 – yeah, they're 6-2, and two, and you have uh, the uh, the Cowboys that are – I think they're – 6-2 and two six as well. 6-2 well. yeah. as well, and, and, and all the other teams. Tampa Bay stinks. That division stinks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons win that division. Mm-hmm. Okay? It, it, it's it, – the NFC is weak. And I, I, I really believe – I don't think the Rams are making the playoffs. I've said it already. I wouldn't – I would say Seattle has a better chance of making the playoffs than the Rams do. I, I really believe right now that Matthew Stafford is not 100% healthy. He's not. Ever since we heard going into the season that his arm, he's having arm problems, you could see it on the field. He doesn't throw the long ball. How many times have you seen him throw a 50-yard pass this year? Honestly, I've watched I've I've watched 3 out of these the 7 or 8 games of the uh, of the Rams this year. I've seen 3 of them. He did not throw one 50-yard pass in any of those games that I watched. None. So what does that tell you about his arm strength? 
It means there's something wrong. And it's not the defense. The defense is keeping them in games. They are. But if you can't score points, it doesn't matter what your defense keeps you in games. Ask the Jets. I'm telling you. The Jets' defense kept them in the game against New England. Mm -hmm. They did. They couldn't win because they couldn't score points. And you make mistakes. You make two or three mistakes in a game, you're done. Yeah, those interceptions were very Jameis Winston-esque that Zach Wilson was throwing. I'm not half. even talking about that. I'm not talking about Zach Wilson. Everybody wants to throw Zach Wilson under a bus. He had a great first quarter, yeah. He was 4-0 and until that game, and now Jet fans want to well, sell yeah, him. They're overreacting. They want to sell him to a plumber, okay? It's ridiculous. They would rather a plumber play at the position than Zach Wilson. It's it's ridiculous. It's sad. And and by the way, all these analysts on ESPN taking shots at him like like he's the worst quarterback of this class. Oh God, it, it's a joke. No. Okay, what has Trevor Lawrence done this year? And everybody still thinks Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in this class. I would think they're out of their minds right now. Justin Fields has been the best quarterback in this class. Yep. He has been. He has been. Yeah, and again, he's done it with the worst situation of all of them, too. Yeah, I understand Trevor Lawrence had to deal with Urban Meyer, which is fine. But the Jaguars receivers are still a lot better than what the Bears have. And and in five minutes, we'll have we'll get Lance Sanderson in, and we'll we'll talk football with him. And I'm sure he has his own thoughts of our conversation right now. And uh, uh, we'll do our picks. Uh, he will join us today with our picks. It'll be fun. But I, I mean. You talk about what these analysts are saying and how they want to attack these quarterbacks, and, and that's been the problem. Look what the, the look what the press did to Geno Smith. Okay, yes, Geno Smith was a laughing stock when he was here with the Jets. He got knocked out by his his own linebacker. Mm -hmm. I mean, I he never figured it out here in New York. Then he went to a, uh, the Giants and he went to a couple of teams. He was the reason why Eli Manning couldn't have his. Uh, obviously, Ben McAdoo decided to pick him and yeah, play him don't me. over Eli Manning and ruining his streak. And Eli Manning was upset and crying after that game. And then Geno Smith went to Seattle. Okay, and then that was that's been a stop for him for years. Backing up Russell Wilson, he was the highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL, averaging about five and a half million dollars. And then he gets his spot, gets his chance after Russell Wilson gets traded. And it's been all Geno Smith this year. And honestly. If you were to ask me right now today, out of all the quarterbacks in the NFC, how many quarterbacks would you take over take over Geno Smith right now in the NFC? Honestly. Two? Two right now. Matthew Stafford's not having a good season. Jimmy Garoppolo, give me a break, okay? Jimmy Garoppolo is is really he's he's built for from the team that he has around him. Right. That's what he is. Uh, we look at the other. Dak Prescott, you want to say Dak? I wouldn't say Dak is better than him right now. Geno is playing on a, a worse team. Uh, offensive line has played well, and he has two good wide receivers, but Metcalf just came back from an injury. Uh, and T Tyler Lockett is not 100%. You can see that. Walker's a beast of a man. Yeah. I mean, he is a, he is a fantastic running back. Uh, but... Uh, you look at the Giants, Daniel Jones. I'm not taking Daniel Jones over him. Carson Wentz lost his job, I mean, to Henneke. I, 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 would you say um, – Cousins, maybe? Would you take Cousins? Would I take Cousins over? Yeah. I would take Cousins over Okay. So if you're looking at Cousins, probably Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. Probably. I wouldn't take Kyler Murray You wouldn't over. take Kyler Murray? No, not okay. right now. Mm. I'm saying Geno Smith has been better than him.
Okay. And I like Kyler Murray. Yeah, I was going to say, like, no. that was one that was uh, on the borderline for you because I know, I know Kyler Murray, he's had to deal with no Hopkins for much of the season, but he's also had his own, like, issues off the field with the, the film stuff and all that that people were criticizing for at the beginning of the season, too. But, again, that, that, that's another thing that Geno Smith has overcome well, too. So Geno Smith, to me, and, and, and Keith is saying, who would you take, uh, Prescott or Geno? Right now, I take Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. I would take Geno Smith. I, I think... There's something magical about Geno Smith this year. And I'm telling you right now, if Seattle somehow sneaks into the playoffs, watch out for them. They're, they, they have a scary offensive line. Their two tackles are really good. Yeah, They're really good. And, and both of those guys are probably going to make the, the Pro Bowl. I, I, I really, they're, they've been really, really good for Geno Smith. And Metcalf has still been dominant this year. I was, I've been very surprised how good he's been this year, even with his injuries. He's had two injuries. One of them he played with. And uh, Tyler Lockett, you know, he's made a couple of mistakes, but I I still think he's a quality wide receiver in this league. And Walker, I mean, the best thing that ever happened to them was Penny getting hurt. Mm -hmm. That was the best thing that ever happened to them because now you're seeing what this kid is. Walker, I don't think he's better than Brees Hall, but we were talking about it. The two best running backs going into this class were Brees Hall, and Walker. Everybody was saying it. Right. And both of those guys were drafted in when? In the second round. Walker was drafted, I think, in the second round by, um, by, by Seattle. Seattle. I think pick 43 or yep. something. And, and Brees Hall was picked by the Jets, traded with the Giants, and in the beginning of the, the second round. Who, right. A lot of people thought Brees Hall was a first-round talent. Mm-hmm. So um, you see the difference of what these, these running backs could do and transition for their teams. When Brees Hall comes back next year, you're going to see him Again, pick it up, pick up the slack. It's going to take him a couple of games, and he'll be back to normal. Walker is that guy. I think he's fantastic. I think he's helping Geno Smith. He's a good blocker. He's everything that you want for a running back. I'm telling you right now, what wins in football in the playoffs? A superior trench trench offensive line. A superior defensive line that can get to the quarterback. And a good running game. If you have all three of those things... You have a chance to win. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Seattle has all of that. All of that. And Geno Smith can make the throws. And if he can make the throws, I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be surprised if Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks are in the NFC title game. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win. And could you imagine Geno Smith win a Super Bowl? I will throw <laughs> that up. Be, that would be like the biggest I underdog will, of ever. Anything. I will throw up as a Jet fan. I will absolutely barf, okay? It it makes me sick to my stomach if I see Geno Smith. And I'm rooting for Geno. I really am. I am. I'm rooting for the underdog. I think he's an underdog. I think he's fun to watch. I, I think the Seattle Seahawks are fun to watch, and you want them to win. You, they beat the Giants last week. Everybody, were they surprised that they beat the Giants? I don't know why anybody was surprised they were going to beat the Giants. The Giants have had a lot of luck this year. They really have. And I give them a lot of credit. Very much a very lucky team this year. Everything's falling together. Dable's a good coach. Quality, quality coach. But this team has no talent. Let's be honest. They traded their best wide receiver for a third and fifth round draft pick or something. Uh, you know, Kadarius Tony. They traded him over there to the Chiefs. I I, I still think they they took less for nothing. I, I, I just, I don't know. But I think the Giants, they don't have any depth yeah. at that wide receiving position. Unless Odell comes back, mm-hmm. and, he, and he could. He could come back, but 
is that enough? Could Odell yeah. take him over the hump if somehow they sneak into the play? I don't know what's going on. Uh, before we get Lance on, uh, yeah. Keith, a couple of comments. Gino is playing great and consistent. Tony does not suck, by the way. Uh, Gino is playing great and consistent. If you just started a team, you wouldn't take Gino. Stop. You're out of control now. I love what Gino's doing, but Seattle was favored. And uh, if I had to pick, would you take Prescott or Gino? You answered that question. Do you know? And, and uh, Keith, I just want to read Lance, Keith, Lance's right, comment. That's fine. So, I, I will say something before you do. Yeah. I, Keith, I'm going to say you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. The Giants have not been favorites in any of the games this year except one. Except one. Do you know that? They were 6-1 and one going to Seattle game, the Seattle game. They have only been favorites in one game all season long. Well, go ahead. I was just going to read uh, Lance's comment before we bring him on. Uh, Gino looks like the West Virginia version of Geno Smith, which, yeah, he was a Heisman candidate for a while. Mm. I, 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 I am lost with words with what we've seen with Geno Smith. Okay, and I'm happy for him. Uh, Pete Carroll gets the best out of his quarterbacks, and boy, oh boy, is Russell Wilson regretting leaving that team now. <laughs> he goes to the Broncos. He thought that offensive line's bad. He goes to a team that he thought was a better offensive line than over there in Seattle. They traded Russell Wilson. They get the um, they get the Broncos' ninth pick, which added uh, obviously gives him their their star left tackle, and then they have the third-round pick from that trade as well, and they get their star right tackle and pretty much relinquish and, and fix that offensive line, which they couldn't fix for, what, nine years when Russell Wilson was there? It's so funny. It really is. What a joke. It really <laughs> And I feel bad for Russ. I really do, and I still think Russ has what it takes to get this team over the hump. I just think this year, for whatever it is, and I don't think it's Nathaniel Hackett. I I know everybody wants to throw Nathaniel Hackett to the Wolves. They do. They they want to throw him to the dirt. How do you how do you expect a guy that's never coached as a head coach in the NFL to just go into a team with a star quarterback with a team that's supposed to win in in a, in a very you know, a very clear and loud stadium week in and week out when he has to play at home and expect Every single week to win. It's not that easy to win a football game. Every give, Any given Sunday, any team could win. Everybody knows that. And it's just, even last week, they, they snuck by the Jaguars. They did. Mm-hmm. Is that because of Nathaniel Hackett and his play calling? Is it because Russell Wilson is 100% healthy? And I honestly, I think Russ isn't 100% healthy. I think he's hiding something. I, I think that by the end of the season, you're going to hear a surgery or two from Russell Wilson. And I do not expect this to be Russell Wilson uh, next year. I, I don't. I, I just I feel bad because Nathaniel Hackett might lose his job because of the fact that Russ isn't 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. So when we come back, we will have our guest, as always. Uh, very happy to get him back. Uh, we will be talking to Mile High, Huddle and Broncos NFL analyst Lance Sanderson. here. On the Sports Lab Mouse. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouse. Oh, I know Lance likes this. 631-672-3108 is the number. As you know, you're listening to the Sports Loud Mouse. Check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have our guest. We finally have him on. 
We are now talking to my high huddle Broncos and NFL analyst Lance Sanderson. Lance, what's up, man? Not a whole lot, fellas. Sorry about the delay and not being here earlier when I was supposed to be on okay. a family emergency. My uh, my son fell into the coffee table. Oh, jeez. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was not good there for a minute. But I am a, I, I do appreciate you guys for having me on again 100%. here on, on the uh, the Sports Loudmouth. It's, it's great to talk to you, Arrow and Petey. It's always great to be with you guys. Uh, here to talk some Broncos. What's going on, fellas? Well, let's get into the Broncos. I mean, Bradley Chubb, uh, a fantastic defensive player, a guy that they drafted, uh, what was it, four years ago, uh, a guy that everybody thought was the next Von Miller there, a guy that they were going to build their defense around. One bad season, and they decided to part ways with him. They d- decided not to re-sign him, uh, maybe because it's a Russell Wilson contract. Maybe they couldn't figure out how they could fit that contract uh, when it comes to the offseason. Uh, what were your thoughts when they made that trade? Honestly, it was a little bit bittersweet. You know, uh, you never want to see a player of the caliber of Bradley Chubb move on from a defense that's playing as well as they are. But when you look at it, Bradley Chubb for the fifth overall pick back in 2018, and he's never really quite lived up to that billing. I mean, 26 total sacks over four seasons. He's missed a lot of time with a torn ACL. He had another injury this last season with uh, bone spurs in his ankles and everything like that. It's just, it's, uh, it's rough to, to see a player that caliber 11.7% pressure rate this season and was really playing at a high level for this Broncos defense to see him go really kind of hurts. But at the same time, he's never really lived up to the billing as that number five overall pick. And for the Broncos to get back into the first round this next season, to be able to rebuild that team around Russell Wilson uh, with Nathaniel Hackett in tow, it's uh bittersweet, but at the same time, I think it's the right move for the Broncos to move on from him. They really like what they're seeing out of uh, Bradley Chubb. They really like what they're seeing out of Randy Gregory, even though he's not healthy right now, he was incredibly effective over the first few weeks of the season. So uh, to, to move on from Chubb, it hurts, but at the same time, this is a good move for the future and they can potentially go on and rebuild that offensive line uh, that has been, leaky at mm. times let's let's just be honest here they haven't really been good at the right tackle position starting cam fleming there um cam fleming is now starting at left tackle for the broncos because garrett bowles is out lloyd cushionbury has been an abject failure at the center position dalton reisner has not been good so to get some draft capital back in this team after trading for russell wilson i think it's the right move for them to, to move on from bradley chubb at this particular point because while they're three and five it's been rough sledding for this broncos team so They've, they've got to try to figure out some answers and moving on from a player like Bradley Chubb sucks, but you're going to be able to build and move forward with the future. Yeah. So my question is with the front seven now, obviously Vic Fangio helped that out a lot with the outside rushing blitz schemes, but now they didn't have that anymore and their defense was still playing pretty well. And Bradley Chubb, a big part of that. I mean, where do they go now in terms of schematically on that defensive side to keep it going? Cause that secondary is really good. And now the, now the pass rush losing Chubb, what do you think is the best approach until they get, Baron Browning and Randy Gregory back healthy. They're really going to rely on Draymond Jones, who I kind of have a hot take here on this one. Uh, if if Draymond Jones can continue to produce at the level that he's been producing without Bradley Chubb, you're talking about a player that can be a top five, maybe top three interior defensive lineman in the entire NFL, profootballfocus.com, and narrow down the, the parameters on interior defensive linemen to 80% of 271 total uh, pass rush snaps. Draymond Jones is number one in pressures. He's number one in um, number one in sacks and has a pass rush productivity of seven point one percent. 
that's number three in the NFL. Like th- this guy is going to be a force to be reckoned with, with this defense. So long as if he can produce at that kind of a level without Bradley Chubb rushing on the outside, he's already without Baron Browning and Randy Gregory. He's dealing with Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper as his other uh, edge defenders. And there's no true other interior pass rush threat that they have along the defensive line, except for DJ Jones, who we all know is a great run defender, but he doesn't really offer much in terms of the, the pass rush productivity. Draymond Jones is really the answer that the Broncos are going to have to lean on moving forward for the rest of the season until they get Gregory back, which it sounds like he's not going to be back for another few weeks. Browning might come back in a couple of weeks, maybe after the bye, we might see him play against the Titans. But at the same time, you're talking about Baron Browning, a player that's never been a full-time edge rusher except for this season. So Draymond Jones is the really the true answer. And we're going to see if he can live up to the billing that like, I think that he can. He's playing at a very high level right now. So if he can continue that, it's, it's not a far stretch to say he could become a top five interior defensive lineman in this league. We are talking to Mile High Huddle Broncos and NFL analyst Lance Anderson. You know, it's so funny, and I wouldn't say it's funny, but Jerry Judy has been on everybody's radar. And some people thought that Jerry Judy was going to be traded at the trade deadline. Uh, We heard the Giants. We've heard uh, quite a few other teams. We heard the Chiefs for a little while. Uh, Even the Cowboys name uh, has been brought up in some trade conversation because they need another wide receiver as well. Why is it that the Broncos are giving up on this guy? Now, uh, I believe they'll trade him in the offseason. I understand that he is has not been the player they thought he was going to be when they drafted him from Alabama. But nevertheless, he's still a fantastic player. He's one of the better route runners in the league. What What is the reason why they've given up on this guy? I don't necessarily know that they've given up on him. I mean, like the last two weeks, he's got 15 total catches for 160-some-odd yards or something like that. He's got a touchdown pass as well. The little shovel pass forward this last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think that they, they've necessarily given up on him. But I do believe that they've put him kind of in a, an awkward situation with losing Tim Patrick. It, like Tim Patrick was the number two wide receiver for this team uh, coming into the year. And Judy was supposed to be playing primarily out of the slot. So they're trying to put him into a role that he was not necessarily designed to be in this offense. Losing Tim Patrick for this offense was just incredible. The torn ACL early in training camp. So they've got to kind of reshuffle things. The the fact that the, the other part you have to kind of take into this is the fact that KJ Hamler, is coming back and they, they were trying to play him in the slot right now. He's coming off of a torn ACL and he had hip surgery on the same leg. Uh, it, at, at, I believe it was the, the Jets game last season where he tore his ACL. He also dislocated his hip. So they're putting him in on, on short time coming in and off of that torn ACL. And they're also moving Judy into a new role. They're, they're just trying to figure out the best way to kind of utilize that. And after watching, uh, the, the the Jets game and after watching this Jaguars game, I think they've kind of figured out the way that they're going to utilize Jerry Judy to be a little bit more effective in this offense. While he was a, a, a big, like, speculated trade target, and I know that I know for a fact that the Green Bay Packers called on Jerry Judy to try to pry him away from the Broncos. They just weren't allowed uh, – like, they weren't able to uh, offer enough to, to pry him away. I think that Judy 
moving forward is really going to be the answer for this Broncos offense because, like you said, Errol, he is a great route runner. He does a great job of separating. He's averaging 3.4 yards of separation right now per ESPN next-gen stats. Like, he's getting open. We just got to get Russell Wilson to deliver him the football on a more consistent basis, and I think that we're starting to see that here over the last couple of games. So it, with that versatility now, him being able to play both in the slot and the outside – how, what do you think is the best ways for Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson to be able to adjust him into that game plan to justify that kind of thing? Because he has a lot to prove now, him being on the last year of his deal next year, too, in order to inc- either increase the trade value or make him a keeper there. Because Cortland Sutton's pretty set in stone, but again, the rest of the receiving room, again, could they get something out of it? I think the the best way to kind of incorporate him is just continue to use him on the slant routes, continue to use him on, on the crossing routes and stuff like that that, that they're using with, with the speed that he has, the separate ability that he has it's not only with the straight line speed ability it's also with the the quick jitterbug route running type of stuff that they're utilizing with him right now I I think that a a better way to really try to uh, incorporate Jerry Judy is to incorporate another young player that they have as a pass catcher in Greg Dulcich who's coming Mm -hmm. back that tight end that they have from UCLA where what they're doing with him right now, especially over the last uh, this last week against the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, is they're they're leaking him out of the flat a little bit, and they're using him on on wheel routes, and they're getting him out on the sideline. They're they're stacking him with KJ Hamler and utilizing the the vertical ability of Dulcich with the vertical ability, the straight line speed, the take the top off speed of a KJ Hamler, and they're they're trying to get multiple in their looks, and they're putting Judy Hamler and KJ uh, and Jerry Judy on the same side of the uh, of the field. And they're utilizing multiple different angles and trying to create new looks and stuff like that. The the problem here, and I I agree with what you were saying, Errol, before we came out of the break, is Russell Wilson here is he's not playing at a very high level right now. And I don't necessarily think that it's all on Nathaniel Hackett. There's the Broncos are scheming up looks to get these players open and Russell Wilson's just not hitting them. He's got to get better in his reads pre-snap. He's got to get re- better in his reads post-snap. And he's got to get better in his uh, in his delivery of the football and getting these players that are schemed wide open all of the time. Like, seriously, it, it, there are wide open receivers in this offense all of the time, and Russell Wilson's just not hitting them. So I, I think that it comes down to a little bit more of a simpli- simplification of the offense in general scheming some more targets open for Jerry Judy, but also utilizing the players that are around him to, to get him better quality looks. I really believe that uh, the Seattle Seahawks offense is built for Russell Wilson. And you see Judah yeah. Smith, uh, you see how he's flourishing in that offense now that Russ is gone and he goes to Nathaniel Hackett. He's running the Green Bay Packers uh, offense. And you could see that it's 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 a lot more entailed in the work. That's what makes Aaron Rodgers so special is that his pre-reads and understanding the field and seeing the field the way he does as good as he does. I thought I think uh, the Broncos thought that bringing in Nathaniel Hackett and making the trade for Russell Wilson, he is the same type of quarterback as Aaron Rodgers. I just Aaron Rodgers is on a whole different level than everybody else right now. Even with this bad Green Bay Packer team, and they're bad, okay? This is a horrible offense. They have nobody to throw to, but he's still finding ways to keep his team into the game. I just, I feel bad for him because they didn't give him enough, but that is his fault because he took the $50 million a year. So you, you look at Russ and you look at the position that he is in. Uh, they, they gave him a $250 million contract. They overpaid for him. He's the highest paid quarterback right now in the NFL. 
and, and you look at the big picture. What is the big picture for this Bronco team as far as what you've seen? Is Nathaniel Hackett in this picture moving forward? Man, that's such a hard question to answer because I'm I'm very frustrated with Nathaniel Hackett in terms of his in-game management, his in-game decision-making and stuff like that. But at the same time, when you look at this offense and when you look at it when it's ticking and when you look at the quarterback play in general, the offensive line, when they hold up, they give Russell Wilson time to deliver the football. It, it comes down to the players on the field because, like I said, the, the designs are nice. They're they're scheming these players open. They're 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 opening up opportunities for explosive plays all over the field. They're just not executing at a level that they should be with a quarterback the caliber of Russell Wilson. Is that because Russell Wilson is falling off? I don't necessarily believe that. Is that because Russell Wilson doesn't agree with what the the play calls or the designs are supposed to be? Maybe. Is it because Nathaniel Hackett's a bad play caller, play, bad play sequencer? Like, sure. Like, there's there's multiple different facets that go into this. I don't necessarily know that I have the correct answer to you on this one. However, what I do know is that th- this team is bought into what Nathaniel Hackett has, like wh- what he brings to the table. He's a player-friendly coach. He designs very well. He makes it easy for these players to kind of adapt and incorporate. And he, and he does what these players do very well. I think where it boils down to is the fact that you you have Russell Wilson who wants to win from the pocket. He wants to win passing the football rather than running the football. He moved, he wanted out of Seattle because Pete Carroll wants to control the football. He wants to design easy pass routes. He wants to take some deep shots and win defensively. Like Russell Wilson wants to win with his arm. He wants to be the, the center focus of the offense. And quite honestly, I don't. I, it's it's not working. We're mm. we're seeing it right now. I mean, you're 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 watching a, a team that they they thrive when they run under center. When they run under center, their their offensive efficiency scores go through the roof. When they play out a shotgun, it's it's predictable. You can understand exactly what's coming in front of you. While this the, the designs are opening everybody up, Russell Wilson's just not seeing it. So to me, that leads me to believe that Russell Wilson, first off, is not quite comfortable with the offense that's around him. Um, they're not doing what the scheme is actually designed to, to, to have them do. And three, they just need to execute better with what they're, with what they're given based on the fact that Russell Wilson's just not playing very well. So big injury was Javante Williams happened in the second week of the season. Yeah. A young running back that was looking pretty good. That first game against Seattle probably was their best offensive player in that game. Um, Long-term, both long-term and the adjustments you've seen this season so far, what do you think that impact will have on Javante Williams with his future and with the Broncos have had to adjust to now with Melvin Gordon's issues, Latavius Murray they brought in now? So what do you think about all that? Man, Javante Williams was my guy. I was so excited to watch him run behind this offensive line because what, what we were tabbed as, what we were what we were sold coming out of uh, the Nathaniel Hackett hiring was we were going to see more outside zone, uh, see more play action, boot action, stuff like that. And we're just not seeing that. So that, again, goes back to what does Russell Wilson want to run? Is it Nathaniel Hackett not calling those designs, stuff like that? Regardless. Javante, that that injury is so killer for this running game because his physical ability of getting up to the second level and running through guys and breaking tackles, you're, you're sorely going to miss that. With Melvin Gordon, I don't predict him being in this on this team even through this season. If I'm if I'm truly honest, I, I don't think that he's going to be there. With the with the acquisition of Chase Edmonds, 
Um, and Latavius Murray seemingly being a more trusted running back behind this offensive line right now, more effective running back, if we're being honest as well. The running back room right now is a mess because with the with Javante Williams, it, it sounds like there's more than just a torn ACL in there. There's a, a torn PCL. I think there's a, there's LCL damage in there as well. You're talking 11, 12-month injury on a running back that's a physical bruiser time, kind of runner that really wants to be physical at the point of attack. That pushes him out into the middle of next season. There's a lot of questions about this, this Broncos running game moving forward. And unless they're going to go to wide zone, which fits what Chase Edmonds wants to do. And quite honestly, fits what Melvin Gordon wants to do. I don't predict this running game getting any wheels anytime soon. Mm. And you know, what's so interesting. And by the way, we are talking to mile high huddle Broncos and NFL analyst, Lance Sanderson, uh, what what's interesting about this Williams injury is, and yes, it is a significant injury, and he could be out for eleven to twelve months. Um, we've seen running backs with injuries of this magnitude; they come back. He's still young. Uh, I I believe he'll come back at a full recovery. They have a very good doctors uh, with these organizations. They'll send them to the best surgeon in the world where they'll make sure that they can reconstruct that knee and get that knee back in order. So I'm not really worried about that. What's crazy about that is, is when, when you see these injuries like the Brees Hall, Brees Hall out for the season, all these star young running backs that are just bursting and, and what you, you're so excited to watch. You saw Brees Hall in the first five weeks. You're talking about a guy that everybody thought was going to be uh, top five running. We had somebody on this show telling us that by the end of the season, this guy is a fantasy guru. He told us that Brees Hall was going to be a top five running back in all of the NFL by the end of the season. And then you lose him for a season because he has a meniscus, a little partial tear in his meniscus and he torn his ACL. Now, Again, uh, the Jets have said that they believe he'll be back at the beginning of next season. They're all ready, and 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 they're happy. They're happy that he's he's going to come to. He's going to become uh, ready and and a full recovery. Whatever. You look at the Broncos right now. I mean, what is it about this team besides? I would say Patrick Sertain that has really stood out this year. Honestly. The best player this year, I, I like Cortland Sutton. He he looks like he's a he's a good wide receiver. He's worked very well with Russell Wilson, but um, but it, the real guy that really stood out to me so far this year is Patrick Sertain. He is a shutdown corner. I would say a top five corner in the NFL right now. Um, he's really the only bright spot that I can say that I have seen on this team, and and it's really he is the defense. And I'm going to tell you, everybody's going to say, "What are you talking about?" He's one player. If he can shut down the best player against any other team, any wide receiver, that opens up everything for the front seven. It opens up everything. He has done that. He has given up no touchdowns this year. None at his position. And that tells you how good and how fantastic of a player that he is. What are your thoughts with Patrick Sertain? Am I right or wrong on this? Oh, you're absolutely correct. There's there's some issues that I have with him in terms of his uh, consistent physicality in the running game. And I, I know that sounds like a nitpicky thing, but at the same time, there are some issues with him, like driving on the football a little bit in the running game, miss some tackles and kind of do the the business decision, if you will, where he just doesn't get physical. But in terms of his, his change of direction ability that I didn't think was quite as good as it actually is, is phenomenal. He's allowed 23 receptions, I believe it, it is, for like less than 200, less than 200 total yards. Um, he's he's phenomenal. 
And that's a cornerstone building piece of, of, of this franchise. I, I believe that he right now is a top three cornerback in the NFL, just on, based on on pure athletic ability, based on pure coverage ability, based, uh, based on statistics. The guy's absolutely phenomenal. But there's a lot more to take away from what this defense is doing. Over a three stretch, uh, a three week stretch there a couple of weeks ago, the Broncos were actually generating pass pressure at one of the highest rates in the NFL. In fact, they had 90 total uh, total uh, pass pressures over three weeks. And, and that's doing it without Randy Gregory. That's doing it without uh, with a Bradley Chubb who's playing against double teams with a Draymond Jones that's winning some one on one battles. But you, you're not doing it with uh, with straight winning four. They're simulating a lot of pressures. They're bringing a lot of uh, a lot of um, the the linebacker blisses. They're sugaring the a gaps. They're they're bringing some stuff like that. But th- then they'll show it, and they won't bring it. And then guys are just winning their one on one matchups up front. Uh, Got to give a lot of love to to DJ Jones, who's mm-hmm. shown a lot of uh, a lot of uh, ability as a as a uh, as a pass rusher. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, DJ Jones is just doing an amazing job. Deshaun Williams is doing a great job. You're getting uh, Nick Benito, who had a really good game against the Jacksonville Jaguars this last week, uh, had a great spin move and, and came up, got a strip sack on Trevor Lawrence. Um, they, they, like they're doing a great job of generating pass pressure. They're do, also doing a great job of forcing fumbles. I, I think they're second or third in the league in terms of forcing fumbles this season. They're, they're, they're getting the, the ball on the ground, but, this is a game of inches and the ball's not just bouncing their way. So there's a lot of bright spots to this defense and they're doing it without a a lot of their key players that they, they thought that they were going to get Justin, Justin Simmons missed some time there with Mm -hmm. a, with a hamstring injury. Uh, Caden Stearns is out with a hip injury. He's going to miss the rest of the season. Uh, Kareem Jackson has taken a, a big step back in terms of his ability, but he's still playing at a high level. Um, Ronald Darby, the the other starting quarterback, uh, opposite of Patrick Sertan, has missed uh, a lot of this season. They're starting Damari Mathis, rookie cornerback out of Pittsburgh, mm. and he's playing at a very good level. So the, the the defense is not playing poor football, and there's a lot more to take away than just the the ability of Patrick Sertan. And yes, while you, you're absolutely correct, he's the the linchpin of this defense. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of key role of players course. that are stepping up and playing incredible football right now. The the defense is only allowing 16 points a game. You should be winning a lot more games than just three you would with think. that production. You would think as Russell Wilson as your quarterback. I mean, exactly. I, yes. it's, I, I don't I really believe Russell Wilson is not 100 percent healthy. That's what I believe. It, I, and I know that it's not an excuse. And I'm and ever since he hurt his thumb last year, if everybody remembers, he hurt his thumb. He had that 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 orthoscopic surgery. He was out for six weeks. The Seattle Seahawks rushed him back and. Uh, he played well, but he didn't play well. I don't think he's 100% healthy. And I think that I believe that Seattle Seahawks knew that he wasn't 100% healthy. And they say, you know what? We're going to we're going to fleece the Broncos. We're going to get as much as we possibly can from them. We'll get their mother, their sister, and their brothers. And uh, we'll make the trade. And, and, and look, they're, they're flying right now. Their team is not even – they still have – uh, this year's first round draft pick for Russell Wilson. I mean, I mean, the Broncos are a bit. Could you imagine the Broncos might have a top ten pick this year, and it's going to Seattle. So it is crazy right now. It 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 really is, and they're only going to get better. Seattle and and, and behind Geno Smith. What is the pot? What is the 
What is the chances for something like this to happen? I know because it has to do with this team, okay? This team right here, <laughs> anything that this team touches, it either turns to crap or it helps some other team out. It doesn't help Usher my Jamal team. Adams. I have well, Jamal Adams is a waste of space. I've said that a million times. <laughs> but uh, and, and and look, their defense is playing well without him, so they obviously know they don't need him. Last, so. last, I don't want to rub, rub it in more uh, as a Giants fan. I watched them to play at the Seahawks this week. Shelby <laughs> Harris looked very good in that game. So yeah. if Shelby Harris and Draymond Jones are still paired together, you're talking about a, a top probably five interior defensive lineman duo based on the way that Shelby Harris is playing. I, I cannot express my love for what Draymond Jones is doing this season. He has been absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, uh, he's got 31 total pressure, six total sacks, um, only two quarterback hits though, which is crazy. You get that much pressure. You're not actually landing hits on the quarterback, but you, the pass rush productivity, he's a, a top, I think six, in terms of uh, run stuffing grade in in the NFL per PFF, like this dude is really playing at a high level of football. And if you, you have Shelby Harris, you have another player other than and not to take anything away from DJ Jones, obviously, but if you have another player on the along the interior that can, can that can create enough consistent pass rush, Draymond Jones would be like lighting up the scoreboard. And I I I don't know if you guys listen to the Draft Dudes podcast. I put mm. it out there for the takes on takes. But, uh, yeah, I, I put it out there to the saying that, you know, if, if Draymond Jones can produce without Bradley Chubb, without Randy Gregory, without Baron Browning, he could be a top three interior defensive lineman in the yeah. NFL this season. I think they were also saying, I forget if it was pro football focus or something else, Draymond Jones, I think, in total pressure rate was fifth. And then Bradley yeah. Chubb, when he was there, was eighth c- collectively. Yep. So yep. they had, like, the best duo when it came to – I guess not necessarily raw interior linemen, but guys that weren't just exclusively edge rushers because Chubb moves around too, as you know. He was very versatile. Yeah. Listen, I know all about this because my team is dominating the front seven. They, they've been really, really good. You know, you saw them yeah. this year. They've been, Quinn Williams has been, if not the best defensive lineman in, in football Hold this on. year. Hmm? I, I, I actually got some context for you with Quinn and Williams in the fold and Aaron Donald, by the way, mm-hmm. Quinn and Williams is first in the NFL in interior defensive lineman in total pressures with 31 Draymond Jones, or, or excuse me, 32 for Quinn and Williams. Draymond Jones has 31 mm-hmm. Quinn and Williams has seven total sacks in, in uh, for interior defensive lineman. Draymond Jones has six. They're literally one and two. So there's some merit to my take. Of here. course, mm-hmm. of course. And, 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 and to me, uh, we're finally seeing what Quinn Williams is. Uh, okay, uh, the yeah. Jets didn't use him enough over the last couple of years. They finally figured out, you know what? Let's play him on eighty percent of the snaps, and we'll see what he is. And now you're seeing the the grace the the gracefulness of this guy. This guy is fast. He's strong, and he's he's scarily he. Everybody tells me I, I've never met Quinn Williams, but. Everything that I've heard, he's a large guy, and he's got a bright smile, and he's the nicest person you'll ever meet. But on the field, the guy is a scary SOB, and he will run through a line, and he will take your mother and your sister on his back to get to the quarterback. It's so very interesting when you look at defensive linemen. Aaron Donald, I don't know what's going on with him this year. Uh, maybe it's it's these, the, the teams that they're playing, or and maybe he's just... He does. He doesn't really care anymore. I mean, he is a dominant force. This might be the first year that he's not an all-pro player. And he was, and we were talking about him breaking records. I mean, eight years in a row where he's an all-pro player, and he needs one more to to, to 
tie the record, and, and two, to break the record. That's why he signed that extension. He wants to be the, known as the best defensive lineman to ever play the game. And I, 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 I'm just kind of shocked that he's not as good or even better than we thought he was going to be this year, even with, I believe, going into the season, a better defense than they were last year. Yeah, he only has four sacks this year in total. It's crazy. And not a, not a lot of quarterback hits this year. No, it, it, it's no. What, what I what I was what, like you were saying, um, as everybody knows, we were talking to Mile High, Huddle Broncos and NFL analyst Lance Anderson. Like you were saying, it, it's it's really been a two two man league this year at the defensive line positions, and it's pretty fan, it, It's really fantastic when you when you see it because if you can dominate the middle. And, and you can put pressure on the quarterback down the middle. The outside, it opens up everything. And you can see it this yep. year. The Jets' defense, because Carl Lawson came back, even though he is not the quarterback sacker like you know we thought, but he puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback, it opens up everything for all the other guys up front. The Franklin Myers, uh, Jermaine Johnson's coming back this week. I heard he's... He he's he's going to be back at full strength, and that's why. By the way, the Broncos got one of our guys, Martin, who I think is a good. He, he's a good. He's a good sack guy. He's a guy that could put pressure. Uh, in in the six weeks that he's played, he has one and a half sacks. Uh, he does average between four and five sacks this year on a on a Broncos defense. Maybe he gets five six sacks this year. Uh, and and they had. And he's a good player. Martin came from. Yeah. Martin came from the Texans. He, he was a guy before the Jets brought him in. I think he had five sacks his final year with the Texans. Also one of the best special teams linebackers yes. in the league. Yes, he, he's really yeah. good. And yeah. and they only I, – I think the Jets definitely won. You know, I think they both won. I think it was fair. They needed somebody to fill in with Chubb, a young guy that could get to the quarterback. And the Jets need – the Jets believe that taking not next year – this year's fourth-round draft pick, but next year's fourth-round draft pick, it, 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 it can – it can give them that two fourth-round draft picks that they, if they want to trade up this year to get a player that they want, or even next year when if there's a player that they want, move up to the third or fourth, second round and get what they need. And, and it, I think it worked out for both teams, but I, I think your Broncos made a good move. I, I really do. I do as well. A couple of really quick stories here. Over my left shoulder here, that is my, uh, my montage. I covered the NFL draft for Mile High Huddle uh, 2019. I got to meet Quinn Williams, and he is an absolute, like, charming person. Like, when you talk to him in person, he's an amazing person. So just to kind of throw that one in your face a little bit, Errol, sorry about that. No, sure. But uh, it, uh, in terms of Jacob Martin, uh he is actually a Colorado kid. He grew up in Denver, so he's been around uh, the Denver Broncos a lot. Uh, there's a, a legendary high school football coach. He's actually the uh, the play-by-play caller for the Denver Broncos. His name is Dave Logan. Uh, he coached against Jacob Martin multiple times. I believe Cherokee Creek High School or something like that here in Denver. Coached, coached against him multiple times in high school and went to the University of Colorado and said, hey, uh, you need to take a look at this kid because he's a he's a high-quality football player. The University of Colorado said no. They're like, we, we've seen him. We don't care. He's, he's too small. He's not going to play very well. 
he went to Temple right after that, and then was an undrafted free agent, I believe, by the Texans, like you're like you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, and now comes full back full circle. I was listening to uh, Dave Logan the other day on the radio after they were uh, after the Broncos brought him in. He's like, this kid's going to be phenomenal. Like he's going to be a very good football player for this Broncos defense. I'm very excited he's here. Um, hopefully, he can actually kind of carve out a niche for this Broncos defense. So I'm intrigued to see some Jacob Martin. I need to go in and do a little deep dive on the take and see what he actually looks like as a player. But I've heard he's a very high quality special when, teams player and he can offer something for the, uh, for the Broncos in terms of pass rush while Randy Gregory and uh, Baron Browning are still coming back from their injuries. When so. he was on the field with, for the jets, he looked really good and, and he could good. put pressure on the quarterback. I think he's going to be able to be a good guy on the outside that could put pressure. You could put him on the right side. You could put him on the left side. Uh, and he could play. He could play de, or he can also play the linebacker position. So, um, I, I think he could do a lot of different things. So it's 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 exciting. If it, and I, I listen, I'm not hurt that the Jets got. They have for the first time. I could say the Jets have an abundance of defensive linemen. So they needed to get rid of one of them. Uh, they have Jermaine Johnson coming back from IR. So they had to get rid of Martin, and I think the, the Jets got something back. They gave up a fifth, and they gave up Martin for a fourth. I think it was a, a fair trade, and in a long run, it could benefit yeah. both teams. Martin could turn out to be a pretty good player for them, and that fourth-round draft pick could turn into a second or uh, maybe you know a, a second and a fourth to, to move up into the first to get a player of their liking. So I, I think it benefits both teams. So, um, yeah, I think you should be excited about Jacob Martin. So let's uh, let's do our picks. Yep, uh, we got uh, we got Clay back on. Clay, uh, sorry about that. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, but he, uh, you're going to be joining us for our picks for this week. Uh, your Miami Dolphins, uh, one of them. The Broncos on bye, though, Lance. So you'll have to pick some of the other teams. All right, that's so, fine. I'm I'm here for it. I'm here I know. For it. I know you are. All right. So what we'll do is uh, we'll we'll go through the game. Speedy will call out the game. Speedy will give him. And Speedy, don't make it a whole long. Fr- no, I know. We got four people. I, All right. So. I, I know you like to give your take on every single percentage <laughs> and aspect of everything. And he, I'm, I'm telling you, he, he's wonderful. He, he really studies this. He gets the ins and the outs, the rain, the it's pouring. I don't know if the crowd's high or, you know, you're playing in the, you know, Seattle, it's loud or something. And it's dark. He has like numbers and statistics, but you have to keep it so we can get through all these games. Yep. All right. Those four people. I got so the, what we'll I do is done. speed. You go first, then uh, Lance, then, then Clay, and then I'll go find the final guy. Here we go, Speedy. All right, we'll start with the L.A. Chargers at the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I'm going to take Atlanta in this one. The Chargers are very banged up. They're probably not going to have their two top receivers. Uh, Mike Williams definitely out. Keenan Allen did not practice much of the week. And Austin Eckler limited today as well. The Falcons, I think they've been very pesky. I think the Chargers offensive line is going to have some trouble. That pass rush has been a little better. And they've been creative running the ball, which the Chargers have had trouble with. I'm going to take Atlanta 23-20. to Yeah, Lance. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I'm going to take the uh, the Atlanta Falcons against the Chargers because the Falcons run the ball incredibly well, and that's the one thing that the Chargers do not do well defensively is defend against the run. I believe they're the last place team in terms of run defense in the NFL for uh, football outsiders DVOA, so give me the Falcons in this one. All right, Clay, what do you got? Chargers at Falcons. Yeah, I'm going to take the Falcons as well for the reasons you mentioned. Also, they run a unique sort of running game. And, you know, is uh, 
are you guys do you guys have to know is Cordero Patterson going to play in this game? I know that, that not confirmed yet. He's just off IR. He was practicing today, but not confirmed if he's playing yet. So I mean, if, if he comes back, it's just an added element for them. So I'm taking Atlanta. I'm going to take the Chargers. I, I, I know everybody's probably looking at me. The Chargers haven't looked good. They haven't ran the ball pretty well in the last couple of weeks. But I think the defense will be able to hold up this week. I, I believe in Justin Herbert. I, I don't know about the Falcons. I, I, I do believe in Justin Herbert. I think he's going to step up in this game. He needs to win this game because if the Chargers lose this game, I, I really believe there's no way the Chargers are going to come back in that division and, and make the playoffs the way the AFC East is and, and, and some of the other AFC team. So uh, give me the charges in this game. All right, I'll uh, go for an ugly one here. The Colts at the Patriots. Uh, I'm actually going to take the Colts to the upset here. I think the Patriots are due for a letdown after the Jets game. And Lance, you even saw it too. Like, they were even creative. I think they're more creative without Jonathan Taylor. They might not be without him this week. And I think their defense bounces back. I'll say 20 to 16 Colts on the road. It, no, hard pass on that because you're talking Sam Ellinger playing a, a, playing against a Bill Belichick defense. Absolutely not. Um, it, it's going to be a, an ugly, brutal game. Let's go 16-13 Patriots just because the, the Belichick defense. All right, Clay, we got a, a Colts at the Patriots. Yeah, give me the Patriots in this one. I, I don't know that I'm 100% back in the uh, Mac Jones category yet. I do feel like when you hear some things coming out of New England that Maybe he's starting to, to to mesh a little better with Matt Patricia and company there. And come on, guys. Sam Ellinger, really? 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 Against Bill Belichick? I'm taking the, Colts, uh, the uh, Patriots. I hate to say it, but I'm taking the Patriots, too. Uh, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. They have two really good running backs. Uh, the Colts couldn't stop the run if, uh, if a nosebleed was flying in the air. Okay? So <laughs> give, give me the Patriots in this game. I think the Patriots win 21 13. All right. The Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions. Uh, this, I think, is going to be a higher scoring game than a lot of people think. Both these defenses have had a lot of issues this year, especially against the run. So I think both these duos are going to be very good in this game. I think the Packers will win it late. Aaron Rodgers will have a comeback. The Lions will find some way to blow it, like they always do. <laughs> yeah, give me the Packers in this one. That uh, Detroit Lions defense is bad as the Chargers are against the, uh, <laughs> the run. The, the Detroit Lions are bad against everything. Uh, Call an Aaron Rodgers bounce back game here. Can we see Aaron Rodgers for three touchdowns? Let's call it uh, 31 to 17 for the Packers. All right, Clay, what do you got? Packers at the Lions. Yeah, I'm taking the Packers. And look, it's one of those where I understand that everything's gone poorly for Green Bay this year. And yet they still have something to play for in this NFC that is just a disaster outside of <laughs> Philadelphia and, and Minnesota. So I, I'm going to go with I, I'm going to go to Green Bay because they, they still got a chance, and also because I think that, that the four of us, if you uh, if you just clone us and put put 11 of us on the field, we could score at least 20 points on the line. <laughs> truth, this is truth. <laughs> um. I want to go with the Lions in this game, but I can't. I I just – I don't know what they are anymore. I thought they were going to be a good team this year. At least win six games. They'll be lucky to win two. And they're they're going to have the number one pick this year. I really do believe that. And and I don't know what they – obviously going to want to draft a quarterback. And Jared Goff will be gone. But um, I got the Packers in this game. I expect Aaron Rodgers to – Play, uh, you know, at a high level. I don't know who he's throwing a touchdown to because I can't even name you his second and third best wide receiver. Dubs, whatever he calls himself. Romeo Dubs. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. I'll pull my dubs in my fingers when he scores. But uh, 
Yeah, I got the Green Bay Packers in this game. I, I would say 31-13. All right. Carolina Panthers at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I'll think the Bengals will win. I think it'll be closer than expected, though, because the Panthers' pass rush, I think, will make a great livers for that Bengals offensive line. But I do think Joe Mixon finally gets it going. Uh, Carolina's had recent issues against the run as well. So I'm going to take the Bengals semi-close. I'm going to say 24-14. to 14. I'm going to take the upset here. Ooh. Give me the, the Carolina Panthers with P.J. Walker. I've, I've got a friend that's d down in uh, the Denver area that's the quarterback coach for P.J. Walker in the offseason, uh, Tim Jenkins. And after the throw that he made against the, the Carolina Panthers, he's playing very spirited hmm. football. He's taking aggressive shots. He's got that offense clicking, something that Baker Mayfield wasn't able to do, something that Sam Darnold is very clearly not able to do. Um, they're running the football really well with Chuba Hubbard. They got Deontay Foreman as well. That Bengals defense is a little bit suspect in the front seven right now. Give me the Carolina Panthers in the upset here. All right, Clay, we got the Panthers at the Bengals. I'm picking the Bengals because of, you're getting more film on how they're running that offense. Lou Anaromo is going to find a way to get some pressure on him and then cause some some havoc for that Carolina offense. And I do think, look, it's, it's one of those games that's getting close to being a must-win for Cincinnati when you look at the remaining schedule and you look at them fighting Baltimore uh, if they want to win the division. So I'm going to take Cincinnati in a game that's extremely important for them. Do I hear a mix-in watch? Do I hear a mix-in watch? I believe I do. This will be a mix-in week. I believe you'll be able to run against this Panther defense. I expect it. They're going to run, run, run this week and then throw second. Uh, there is no Jamar Chase. Higgins has had a decent season. I like what Tyler Boyd is you know, here and there in the slot, but I, I don't know what they are offensively without Jamar Chase. I expect them to run the ball. They'll run the ball, control the clock. Defensively, Hendrickson, Hendrickson will get to the quarterback and put pressure on Walker and make him make mistakes. Give me the Bengals in this game, 21-17. All right, the Minnesota Vikings at the Washington Commanders. Kirk Cousins returned to Washington for the first time since he left there. And I think he'll play well in this game because he's going to have to. Washington's Who the hell named him the Commanders? That is a horrible name. Ugh. I still vote for Sentinels from throw replacements. Off, that would be Ugh. the uh, most ideal. But it's terrible. <laughs> uh, I, Cousins will have to play well because the Commanders have done well against the run in recent weeks, especially against Aaron Jones and that Packers offense. And then last week against Taylor, even though he was a little limited with offense, I think they'll be able to spread the ball around nicely. And the Vikings defense continues to play well. McLaurin will have do his, but I don't think they have enough receiving depth to be able to capitalize on that Vikings outside corner. So I'm going to take the Vikings in this game. I'm going to say 27-17. Give me the Vikings in this one as well. Justin Jefferson is about to go off against that uh, that Washington Commanders. I, I almost said the bad word. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, seriously, Justin Jefferson is going to go off. Look for TJ Hawkinson here. It, like a sneaky fantasy upside, like, like a, a daily fantasy play. TJ Hawkinson going against uh, uh, Jameen Davis in pass coverage. I think that TJ Hawkinson filling in for Irv Smith Jr. could be a sneaky DFS play. So give me the, the Vikings here. Uh, let's call it 27 to 20. All right. Clay, Vikings at Commanders. This is sneaky. I, I kind of like Washington here. And <laughs> one of the reasons is that, look, I, I feel like I, I feel this way every week that this is the weekend that, that Minnesota finally turns back into a pumpkin. Well, look. We finally had Halloween. All the jack-o'-lanterns have been thrown out. It's time for them to turn into a pumpkin finally. And no, I look. I I, I think you got to give that coaching staff a ton of credit because they don't beat themselves. And yet, there's just something about when Taylor Henneke is out there, Washington plays differently. And so I'm going to take Washington in a bit of an upset in that one, and uh, and the pumpkins return. <laughs> 
to Minnesota. <laughs> what do you think? This is Cinderella? <laughs> uh, you know, it's so funny. I'm looking at this game, and I, 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 I would say the Commanders, too. I, it, it's a home game. Everything that's going on with Dan Schneider, why not? The Commanders go into this game. The Vikings, everybody heavily favored. Uh, Jefferson is, is going to explode. Why couldn't why couldn't the Commanders at home actually take over this game and be able to run the ball? They have one of the best running backs in the NFL, and people forget that Gibson is is playing for the Commanders. I I, I like the Commanders in this game. I think the Commanders will win a very very close game, twenty four twenty one. Give me the Commanders. All right, Errol's uh, oh god. Uh, sneaky note on that: uh, the the Commanders actually just promoted. Uh, Chase Young off of IR. So mm-hmm. yeah. maybe take a look at that one. So maybe Chase Young might be a difference here. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Very much could be. All right. Errol's New York Jets Woo! hosting the Buffalo I don't Bills. Know. I don't know what I what I want to expect what you guys are going to be picking on this Well, one. I'm going to pick the Bills, but I'm going to pick the Jets to cover. They're going to cover the 13 points. I think the Jets defense actually plays well in this game. I can see Sauce and Stephon Diggs having a very good battle where Diggs doesn't get 100 yards and is the big difference maker. He won't have a touchdown in this game, guaranteed. Yeah, the, I can see that guaranteed. kind of thing, too. Guaranteed. Here's the matchup I like, though, because Robert Sala's defense has always had trouble with pass-catching running backs. They just traded for Naeem Hines. I actually think he's going to have an impact, or Devin Singletary. One of them is going to have an impact either with the screen passes or those outside runs. I think that'll win the game more than the raw passing game itself. And Allen running, I think, will do better as well. But the Jets keep it close for a little while, but the Bills' defense will be too good. I'm going to say Buffalo. They co- uh, Jets cover, but 24-13. to 13. Buffalo. Yeah, give me the Bills in this one. I, I live in Wyoming. I've been a Wyoming Cowboys fan for a long time. Huge fan of Josh Allen. So, uh, yeah, give me the Bills in this one. And just because Stefan Diggs doesn't have a touchdown pass doesn't mean Gabriel Davis won't. Yeah. Give me Gabriel Davis on a two-touchdown passing uh, just, receiving Just game. remember the Jets have DJ Reed, too. You know, hasn't yeah, given DJ, up a touchdown yet. Hasn't given uh, up DJ, a touchdown yet. Uh, DJ Reed's been playing really well, and I will give him that. But uh, if you if you're gonna cover one, you ain't covering both. And, and, and I'm sorry about that. I love me some Sauce Gardner. DJ Reed's been playing great, but uh, Isaiah uh, Isaiah McKenzie. It, like, like there's this Bills offense is way too multiple. Gabe Davis scores two touchdowns. The Bills route the Jets 38 to 14. Wow. All right, Clay. Wow. Bills Jets. Man, I refuse to do it. I refuse to make a Zach Wilson joke completely inappropriate. It's juvenile, and I'm not going to do it. Uh, so anyway, I, but here's the thing. I, I, we, we talked about all the additions that these teams made at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, Buffalo's GM came out and was talking about uh, the, the conversations about Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Nobody seems to, to want to address the fact that the Bills are getting back Tredavious White and they're going to get Jordan Poyer. They're getting two of the best secondary players in the NFL. They're coming in. This is a team that's already the best team in the NFL, and they're about to get better. So, and, and, you know, regardless of if those guys, I don't even know what their status is for this game, regardless of if they play in this game, just getting those guys back, the extra, extra juice is going to be enough. The Bills are going to roll with this one. You know, it, it's so funny. And, and I'm, I know everybody's looking at me. I'm a Jet fan, and I, I know everybody thinks I'm going to be a homer on this. But – there's something about that loss last week and listening to the Jets and listening uh, to some of the players, how upset they were and how, how bad they played in the second half. I do not believe this is going to be a role. I don't. And I do believe the Jets are going to have a chance to win this game in the fourth quarter. They're going to have to put pressure on Josh Allen, make him make mistakes like the Green Bay Packers did 
uh, in the second half of the game last week. I think the Jets are better than Green Bay defensively, and they stayed in the game. I believe they'll be in this game. I believe they'll have a chance to win. If, if anything, I think the Jets will have the lead going into the second half. I think the Jets are going to win this game. I, I do. Everybody thinks that it's it's crazy. It's not going to happen. And everybody's been making fun of Zach Wilson, pointing their fingers. He sucks. He <laughs> sucks. Well, guess what? Zach Wilson throws no interceptions this week. He throws over 250 yards, two touchdowns, and they have a pick six to win the game. 24-17, New York Jets. All right, last of the 1 o'clock games. Clay, your Miami Dolphins are going to Soldier Field to like, take on the Chicago Bears. Clay, I'll let you go first for this one. Yeah, I'm going with the Finns, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's a combination of things. I like what they're doing. I also, look, I've said this a few times in this segment, I think the more motivated team wins games like this when it's a little bit even. And I think this is a team that uh, the Dolphins getting somebody like Bradley Chubb. Mike McDaniel said something the other day that I thought was interesting. He said it can break up the monotony. You know, we all talk about like the boost that you're getting. I just said it with Buffalo. But when you're getting a new player, it can break up the monotony of the season. So I think that extra thing that you need, the Dolphins are going to get it. So this won't be a trap game. They're going to go into Chicago and win. Yeah, I'm going to take the Dolphins, too. I, I like the matchup for Raheem Mostert in this game on the outside. He's a better outside runner. I know he's a good power guy, too, but the Bears have had a lot of trouble against the run. You saw Tony Pollard run all over them last week. I think they'll be able to contain one of Hill or Wild because their young secondary has actually been pretty good, so I think it'll stay close, and Justin Fields will have his plays, but I think Miami will be able to stop the run now with Chubb and make it tough for Chicago, who likes to run a lot. So I'm going to say Miami 27-20 to 20 in this game. Uh, give me Miami no much larger margin of victory than 27 to 20 on that one let's go 27 to 14 wow. uh, Miami takes over the uh, the Chicago Bears offense and I think that Bradley Chubb coming in there with the disciplined rush ability that he does have he doesn't let a lot of guys get outside of, of his contain when he's when he's being a rusher especially uh, mobile quarterbacks Justin Fields while I was super huge on him and I think he's playing a lot better over this last couple of weeks I don't think that he's going to be able to, to get that um, to get those running lanes. The, the cover zero Miami defense, what they're doing defensively right now, getting after the passer, um, and it, with their secondary, I think that uh, Justin Fields is going to struggle. Uh, Tua and Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, you're going to see another 350 yard passing day against that that uh, Chicago secondary that now is without Robert Quinn, now is without Roquan Smith. Uh, yeah, the the Dolphins roll this game 27 to 14. I just remember that uh, the Bears added Chase Claypool, whatever that's worth. <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> I got the Dolphins in this game. The Dolphins are going to win this game. They're going to be able to run the ball. The uh, the, the Bears, uh, over the last two weeks, they've, they've played very well against the run, especially against the Patriots, which I was very surprised in New England and, and with their running game. But I like what they've done. But I, I think the Dolphins, they have more – uh, speed on the outside. I think they're going to be a little bit more uh, with the sharp passes on the outside. They're going to be able to throw the ball down the field to Waddle or or Tyreek Hill. I don't know how they're going to stop both of these guys. And and remember, they they have a very strong tight end over there too. So Kaseki is a a pretty good tight end as well, which they've had problems against tight ends this year. So I expect the Dolphins to trample all over them, twenty four to ten. All right, first of the four o'clock games, the Raiders at the Jags. 
Uh, this will be ugly, low scoring. I'm going to take Jacksonville just because I trust their defense a little more. <laughs> oh uh, the Raiders, the Raiders game planning last week was awful, first of all. Josh like, McDaniels, what a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> and Jacksonville's pass rush has actually done, done pretty well. And even Tyson Campbell has been very underrated this year. He's had a nice year his second year. So I think he'll be able to, not contain, but at least limit Devontae Adams a little more. And Jacksonville can stop the run. So I'll take Jacksonville 20 to 13. Yeah, Lance. I'll uh, I'll piggyback off you on that one just because quadruple F the Raiders. I'm a Broncos fan, and I can never pick the Raiders to actually do anything <laughs> good other than fail. And it's such a poetic justice to me to watch them fail with Josh McDaniels as their head coach. If you know anything <laughs> about the Broncos' history and Josh McDaniels, you know why I want the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. Travis Etienne just torched the Broncos for 154 yards, 156 yards, something like that, and a touchdown against the Broncos last week. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna go for at least that against this Raiders defense. It's absolute dog trash, terrible. Give me the give me the Jags, 23 to 10. Hmm. All right, Clay, we got the Raiders at the Jags. Yeah, I'm taking Jacksonville, and it felt like last week things might be starting to get away, might be starting to get late early out in Las Vegas. I. Would it surprise you guys, you know, all this talk about Nathaniel Hackett, would it surprise you guys if Josh McDaniels was the first head coach fired of the new, the new group <laughs> this year? I mean, it's getting to that point where it feels like you like you can just sense that it's not right and players start to understand that it's not right. I could see this one getting away really quickly. Uh, he'll go back to the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. go Join the great offensive staff. It'll be their defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a whole role reversal. Yep, Matt Patricia, offensive coordinator, Joe Judge, offensive coordinator, and he'll be a defensive coordinator. Oh, man. And Bill maybe Belichick. Steve Belichick will be promoted to some other role that doesn't exist. I was going to say, watch, watch Bill Belichick just get promoted to straight-up uh, GM and Josh McDaniels. Oh, my God. This, this organization, man. I, I, and they still find a way to win. It doesn't make any sense. It makes me throw up as a Jet fan, okay? Uh, anyways, um... I got the Raiders in this game. I, I think the Raiders win this game. I, they need to win this game because if they don't win this game, Josh McDaniels is on a hot seat. I, I don't know what's going on with this team. Waller, yeah, Waller's healthy now. Renfro's he's out now, so you lost Renfro. I, 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 is Renfro playing this week? I don't know. Not I think, sure yet. I, 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 I think so. I, I'm not sure. I think he got hurt last week. I don't know he, if he's he played. He came back from injury last week. It was mm. his first game back. But All right. Still limited in practice um, this week. I, Adams, Adams is in the game. I, I think they'll be able to run the ball with Jacobs. Jaguars this year has had problems stopping the run. They they have. And uh, Jacobs, to me, is, is going to be a hot ticket in the offseason. A lot of teams will be interested in him. I think he's a very underrated running back and one of the better running backs in the NFL. I think the Raiders will pull out this game. I don't know. I really should go with the Jaguars because this could be a really bad week for me. But I'm going to go with the Raiders. So give me the Raiders in this game. It will be close. 21-20. All right. <laughs> Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I, this is going to be a game of field goals. Both these teams have had trouble with their red zone offenses. Both these kickers have been pretty steady in, as a result. But I'm going to take the Cardinals in this, mainly because I think they're you second. You keep picking the Cardinals. What is up with you? Because they, they lose the games they're supposed to win and vice versa. Has anybody watched the hard knocks? I don't think anybody's checked out the hard knocks of uh, the Arizona. Why would you want to watch that garbage? 
I mean, what's going on with that team? But I do think, but I do think, in, to an extent, they have done well in the secondary in terms of taking out number one receivers. So I, I think that's going to be a big adjustment for Geno Smith to have to make to, when they take out one of Metcalf or Lockett, Brian Murphy, Buda Baker. I think they've all played well this year. Kenneth Walker will get his. He'll be able to run. But I do think the Cardinals could take some concepts with the Giants did because they have a similar defense. So I'm going to take the Cardinals at home. This is a must win for them, too. 23 to 20. Give me the more consistent quarterback. And the more consistent quarterback is Geno Smith right now. Kyler Murray has not been playing very well at all over the last several weeks. The Seattle Seahawks defense has been playing incredibly well over the course of the season. I, look at what the NFL just did. They named uh, Geno Smith the Offensive Player of the Month. They named Tariq Woolen the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Month. The, and Kenneth Walker the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Month. This team is playing incredibly inspired football, despite the fact that everyone was crapping on them to be a top five pick. They're five and two right now, I believe, is what their record is. And five and three. They're yep. going up against a Cardinals team that cannot figure out a way to find their like get out of their own way offensively. So, give me the more consistent quarterback. Give me the defense that's playing better. Tariq Woolen with another interception this week. Give me the Cardinals. Uh, 24 to 16 over the Cardinals. Uh, give me the Seahawks, excuse me. 24 16 over gotcha. the Cardinals. Gotcha. All right, Clay. Seattle at Arizona. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's it, one team is doing everything right. The other team is doing everything wrong. And, man, is there a better story in the NFL than Geno Smith this year? And, and we're, no. he, he went to Miramar High School down here. It's incredible that this is the same player that we saw a few years ago and had been discarded. Man, I, I'm just so happy for him. And it's such a it's such an emo, uh, an inspirational story of a guy who everybody had written off. And if you watch him week after week, this is not a, oh, man, magical, like things are going right for him. No, he's making ridiculous throws. He's doing he's like doing the things that you don't do that get you beat. He's not doing the things that you don't do to get you beat. And then when he has to make a play, he finds a way to make a play. So I'm 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 believing in the in the Seattle Seahawks right now. I'm taking them on the road. Um, I got Seattle in this game too. I, I think who's going to stop Kenneth Kenneth Walker right now? I, I mean, he has been the dominant force running back in the NFL. There's nobody every single week, week by week. This guy's been trampling off all over everybody. Uh, I who's stopping him on the Cardinals defense? Uh, JJ Watt, give me a break. I mean, he's a washed up uh, defensive lineman. I, I don't know what's going on with this team. Uh, the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, who I've been a fan of. I, I'm losing respect for him. I, I think he thinks he's better than everybody else, and uh, he got that contract in the offseason. I think he looks like an absolute fool. Kingsbury should be fired after he got that extension, so he'll be there for at least another year. Give me the Seahawks and Geno Smith, 31-20. All right, the L.A. Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Basically, the season's on the line for both these teams, probably. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams in this one. They've Isn't had this fitting? Isn't this fitting? <laughs> this is funny. The, the, these two teams, absolute disgrace. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to take the Rams, though, for, for two reasons, one of which is Tampa just lost Shaq Barrett for the year, so I think they're going to have a lot of trouble trying to make shift a pass rush as it is. Joe Tryon, who's pretty good as a young player, is going to have to be their number one guy, so I don't know if they could take advantage of the Rams' offensive line, and I don't trust Todd Bowles with the game planning either against this Rams team that's carved him up with Sean McVay. They'll have a hard time running the ball, the Rams, but I do think they'll be able to spread the ball around. Tampa's secondary hasn't looked look good the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to take the Rams in this one 27-17. Is there any game this season that was like more hyped up 
than Rams and Buccaneers with like the the last two uh, Super Bowl champions. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that this was going to be a great game and it's going to be a slot fest. Neither one of these offenses can move the football. They can't score. Uh, they cannot score efficiently. Neither one of these defenses can stop a, a runny nose if they tried to. It, it, it's rough. But give me the team that at least won a Super Bowl more recently than the Buccaneers did, and I'll take the Rams in this game. Just because I am here for the Tom Brady fall apart and the the meltdown of what Tom Brady was. You don't feel bad Rams- for Tom Brady. Come on. I, why, I, I'm, a Jet I? Fan. Wait, wait. I'm a Jet fan. I can't stand the SOB, okay? But for, for him to give up his marriage, his, his family, to come back and play football, to try to win another one and, and try to help his team out, I, I mean, it's, it's sad, man. I feel bad for him. I do. I do feel bad for him. That's, that's called bad self-scouting. Understand what you are as a person and understand that you have a supermodel wife and three kids at home and you've already proved everything. Like, what else do you need to prove? Go home and love on your wife and have fun with your kids. I'm here for the Tom Brady meltdown. That's my hot take. Okay, we got- I, hope that the Rams, I hope the Rams blow the, the Buccaneers out. I'm not going to call that. 16-13 Rams. Sorry. <laughs> we, got a, we, got a, we got a Broncos guy, a Dolphins guy, and a Jets guy. And uh, the Jets one is the one least hoping for the Tom Brady meltdown. <laughs> Go ahead, Clay. What do you got? Rams, Bucks. Did we lose him? Clay, you can hear us? Did we lose him? Oh, you got me. Oh, there yeah, we are. There, there we are. Clay, sorry. Oh, we're, we're just talking about Rams and Rams and the Bucks. We're just talking about yeah, all so these I'm guys not, are going for the uh, Tom Brady meltdown here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the uh, lone wolf, I think, maybe, and I'm going to take Tom Brady in the in the Bucks only because I trust him more than I trust Matthew Stafford. And that's really it. <laughs> I got the Rams in this game. I, I I want the Rams to win this game, not because of Tom Brady, because. I think they're a lot better than the Buccaneers, and Todd Bowles is going to be fired at the end of the year. This team is an absolute wreck. Uh, Bruce Arians will be screaming on the sidelines again, but not a part of the Buccaneers. You'll you'll probably see him because it's in Tampa. So give me the Rams, uh, 24-20. All right, Sunday Night Football, the Titans at the Chiefs. I think this is going to be a blowout. I, th- this is the first time I can actually trust the Chiefs to actually stop Derrick Henry, the run defense. And you even called this, Lance, when you were talking about George Karloftis uh, on our draft panel, too. That the, the, yeah. This has been the yeah. biggest issue for the Chiefs in a while. And they're actually really doing really well stopping the run this year. I give them a lot of credit. The Titans have not been able to get a consistent passing attack. So I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. 34-20 blowout here. So can I can I give two score predictions here? Go because ahead. Let's hear like, it. Uh, Let's hear uh, it. Like Ryan Ryan Tannehill p- could potentially play. <laughs> um, if Ryan Tannehill plays, thirty-eight to ten. If Ryan Tannehill doesn't play, thirty-eight to three. This game this game is done and over with. We don't have to play it. Like it, it, it's a shame that we cannot flex this game out and at least get Bucks and Rams into it so we can watch a more competitive game. In my opinion. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, the the Chiefs right now are the third best roster in the NFL, and uh, the way that they're playing offensively is unstoppable. The Titans' defense uh, against the pass is terrible, and you can only lean on Derrick Henry so much. So, yeah, give me give me the uh, the Chiefs here in a massive blowout win, thirty eight to ten. Honestly, you should flex the Vikings uh, Commanders game to prime time. Have all the storylines from during the week with the with the Commanders. Oh, hell, uh, hell, give, give me Raiders Jaguars. <laughs> more entertaining. All right, Clay. Sunday night Titans Chiefs. What do you got? 
there is not a single reason to pick Tennessee in this game. I will not pick Tennessee in this game. I think Kansas City will win it maybe by 100, which means <laughs> Tennessee is probably going to find a way to win this game and make us all look like <laughs> They have a good track record against the Chiefs in the regular season. It's weird, but, yeah, oh, it's hard man. to trust. Oh, I, I mean, everybody's got the Chiefs, so maybe I should take the other team. I, I don't know. I, I I think the Chiefs are going to win. They're playing at home. Sunday night football. It's supposed to be a pretty cold night over there, which benefits what? The Chiefs. Uh, I believe, Kadarius, Tony, you're going to see a new superstar over there in Kansas City. I believe Kadarius, Tony, is going to see the ball quite a few times, and I expect at least one touchdown by him. Give me the Chiefs in this game. I think it will be a blowout. I think I think they're going to have problems stopping Derrick Henry, but even if Derrick Henry is unstoppable, that's all they have. Um, yeah, Chiefs, 30-10, something right. like that. Monday Night Football, final game, the Ravens at the Saints. This is going to be a fun game, by the way. Ironically, yeah. they actually played, the last time they played in New Orleans, they actually played on Monday night as well. This is going to be a really good game. I'm telling you guys right now. This will be Yeah, this, this is going to be a close game. They have two very, very similarly built teams. Both these teams have had their issues in the fourth quarter this season. I'm going to take the Ravens in a close one just because I do trust their interior run defense and not have Alvin Kamara have the game he had last week. And with, no, with now Michael Thomas out for the season, Chris Olave being really their you only. You also forgot about Roquan Smither. Yes. You know? I was going to get His to him first in a bit. Game back. And Roquan Smith, I think, will be the guy that will be able to shadow around Taysom Hill if he does anything at his shenanigans because that would be the best thing the Saints could expose. But I don't know if I necessarily trust it on a consistent basis now with Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to be able to do that. So I think the Ravens win a close one here. I'm going to say 23 to 17. When in doubt, take the best quarterback. And the best quarterback on the field is Lamar Jackson here. And if, if you're trying to stop him running against, uh, running against that Saints defense, you're just not going to be able to do it. Like, they, they get so creative with that running game. He's going to throw the ball all over the yard, except for when he targets Marshawn Lattimore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a close game. It is going to be a close game because I, I don't like this uh, – the Saints secondary very much, or the, uh, the the Baltimore Ravens secondary. No, I don't right like now. it either. They're, they're 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 not playing at a high level. Like when everyone came into the season with Marcus Peters, when they had uh, Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Hamilton, uh, Chris Clark, like all those guys that are out there, they're not playing very well right now. And I think that Andy Dalton, with the way that he's playing right now, there's going to be some deep shots available, and they're going to be able to, to keep this game close. Uh, give me the Ravens. Just because of the the Lamar Jackson uh, factor, uh, let's call it 23-20 Ravens. All right, Clay, Monday night, Ravens at the Saints. So here's a name to remember for that game, Rashid Shahid. He's a guy that the Saints gave a ton of money in the offseason as an undrafted free agent. I think he may have actually set the record for for most money in the signing bonus for (laughs) an undrafted free agent. And he's a speedster. He came off uh, IR a few weeks ago, and he's just made plays every game that he's played in. And I think he's going to make a a big difference in this game. And and one more thing, guys, I think – Going back, if you go back to before the season, I felt the Saints had as much talent as anybody in that division. I think they felt the same way. Dalton has the offense finally hitting a rhythm, and I think they sniffed. That NFC South is up for grabs on a Monday night in New Orleans. This is a must-win game for them. If they want to win the division, they're going to find a way to pull it off. I love the Ravens in this game. I, I do, and I I think it has a lot. Now, D.K. Dobbins is out for, for a significant amount of time. It's killing me inside because I drafted him on, on practically every single fantasy You're league. fine. You have Chubb Henry and Kenneth Walker. It doesn't matter. I, I wanted D.K. Dobbins to play very well this year, and he can't stay healthy. Uh, it's a huge problem. I, I don't know 
uh, where they go. They're they're a run first team, and they like to use their running back. So now they're 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 look to be a throw first team. Uh, I w- my question is, is who is he throwing to? But nevertheless. I think they're better in the trenches. I think they have the better offensive line. I think they have the better defensive line. Not the better secondary, because I, I do believe the Saints have the better secondary. Uh, with Lattimore and, and the the safeties that they have over there. So uh, Marcus May and all that crap over there. But anyways, I, I think the Ravens will win this game. It will be close, and I, I agree with Clay. Uh, they have the, the talent over there with the Saints. They have the talent. I just... I question their quarterback play. I, I, Andy Dalton, they, they've had how many different quarterbacks since Drew Brees? What, three, four? I mean, they, they don't know who their quarterback is going to be. If I were them, I'd just lose this year and draft one of those top quarterbacks in the top ten and, and get this over with and, and rebuild, rebuild that way. They need to do something because they cannot depend on the crap that they have over there with Taysom Hill and that garbage. So uh, give me the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe Lamar Jackson goes there. That would be nice. Uh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens win 17-10. Don't, for, I don't, don't even forget about the legend of Ian Book, too. Which yeah, I had, had a good two-game two or and whatever Trevor stretch. Trevor Simeon, guys. Trevor Simeon, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. He was be the best nice. quarterback last year for whatever that's worth. So, uh, I, I was going to say, be nice to Trevor Simeon, man. He's at least a service. Stop it with uh, Trevor Simeon. I, I, I can't. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Oh, give me a break. I mean, the, the next thing. Legend. Yeah, the next thing we'll talk about is Noah Font. Give me a break. I. <laughs> I can't sit here. At, at, at least Noah Fonts an above average quarterback it is, or tight end in his position. Oh, my God, man. It just it, With the NFL, it, 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 has it not been mediocre all season long? I mean, this is the probably the most mediocre season we've ever seen in the NFL. That's good for football because that's what I want to see. Mediocre means teams, there could be surprise teams going to the Super Bowl, surprise teams going to the AFC and NFC title game. I don't want to see, like, oh, Tampa Bay has, like, 12 wins, 13 wins, and the Rams win 12 games. And they're the only team that will probably win 12 or 13 games this year are the Eagles. That's it. I, I don't think there are any other teams, not even the Vikings. I, I think the Vikings are overplaying their talent. I, I don't really yes. think the Vikings are that good. I really don't. I, I, Jefferson... Why is it they have Adam Thielen over there, they have all the weapons they have, and every Jefferson is seeing the ball 13, 14 times. I mean, teams are figuring that out. I can't wait until the Vikings play the Jets this year. I can't wait. Oh, that was supposed to be our Minnesota road trip. I can't wait until that happens because there is no way Gardner is going to let Jefferson catch that ball. So what are they going to do? Whoa, 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 hold on. Wait, 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 wait. There's no way. Uh, there's no way that the way that the Minnesota Vikings scheme up their offense to let Sauce Gardner be on Justin Jefferson that much, though. They they move Justin Jefferson around so often. So unless you're literally going to spy him one on one, like they're they're going to scheme open Justin Jefferson against that defense. I'm sorry, dude. It's just going to happen. All right, then they have DJ Reed. So they. They have weapons, and, and I think that I believe, and I'm not saying this as a Jeff fan, I think the Jets have, besides the Philadelphia Eagles, they have the best dual uh, corners in the NFL. And, I, and they've proved it this year. They've given up, what, two touchdowns all season long in nine games? That, t- that tells you what they are. They're good. It, it, yeah. It's just uh, the question is, I, I just, if they keep throwing the ball to Jefferson and you're playing against good corners like that, they, they're going to be beat. 
and I, I don't think the Vikings are that good. They are not running the ball to Dalvin Cook. I, you have a, a prolific running back like that, and the guy doesn't touch the ball enough. There, it's always feed it to Jefferson, feed it to Jefferson, feed it to Jefferson. People are figuring that out. And, and in the playoffs, you guys know that. Clay, you know this, and so do you, Lance. You're playing the best of the best defenses. There is no way that is going to work, even in the bad NFC in the playoffs. So good luck, because the Vikings aren't winning anything. I think what Lance is saying is true, though. I think that's more of a Cousins issue than an O'Connell issue, though. I think is more what he's getting at. I like their O'Connell. Sch- their schemes have been good. I think he's a good coach. Yeah. I, I do. I I loved his speech this past week. I, I think he's a great coach. I just I think they're over. They're over. Uh, they're they're overrated. Okay. I I don't think they're that good. That's well, I don't know. Opinion. I don't know about over overrated, but over exceeding expectations. That's definitely a way to to put that correctly. I mean, that the defense is playing way above average compared to what their talent level looks like, and Kirk Cousins is spreading the ball around and, in a big game, you know, fully healthy. Clay, I, it's honest to God, 49ers Vikings. Who do you have in, in the playoffs? Full strength, Trent uh, uh, Trent back, uh, all the weapons that they have. Debo Samuel's a hundred percent healthy. Who do you have in a game? Uh, it doesn't matter where it is. It's in Minnesota. It's in it's in San Francisco. Who do you have? Well, not Niners, but I'm I'm a much bigger believer. I think in the Niners and a lot of people. You look around the landscape of the NFC. It wouldn't surprise me if at the end of the year we're talking about them as the second best team behind Philadelphia. I just I, I feel like there's so much talent there. Um, so maybe it's it's the wrong team to pick if we're doing that comparison. But <laughs> but no, no I, I do think I, I'm with you as far as Minnesota goes. And it's hard until until I see Kirk Cousins in a big moment in an extremely meaningful game doing the thing that you need to see from a quarterback. I like, I just can't believe that it's going to happen. So, you know, fool me once shame on me, fool me 27 times, whatever Kirk cousins <laughs> times, whatever Kirk cousins Jersey number is shame on me. I, I, Clay, I'm with you on that one. Um, Cause <laughs> at, at least Jimmy Garoppolo has been there. He's, he's been to the pinnacle and he played relatively well. I, I will say relatively well in the super bowl. It, there's a lot of arguments to say that he lost the super bowl for the 49ers against the chiefs a couple years ago. No, it was Kyle Shanahan, the worst coach when it comes to the last minute, last minute man, plays. That man, guy stinks. They, they, they schemed up Emmanuel he Sanders stinks. on the post route and Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew him by six freaking yards. He Come stinks. On. Kyle Shanahan. How do you, and I'm going to say this again. We remember when it, we remember him with the Atlanta Falcons against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. All you had to do was run the ball in the fourth quarter. All he kept doing is throwing the goddamn ball. He, 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 he lost that Super Bowl. And then, by the way, he did the same thing against the Chiefs. You had a, what, 10-point lead against the Chiefs with, what, seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl? And what does he stop doing? Running the ball. He starts throwing the ball. He is an idiot. And when it comes to play calling at the end of the game, that's why he's never winning a Super Bowl. And if he wins this year, because I picked the 49ers to win, I think, you know, the the rain's going to come down and I'm going to dance naked on the football field at the Super Bowl, okay? That's, (laughs) That's the only way he wins is because I picked the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. And I, by the way, I picked... The, the Rams to win the Super Bowl last year. So uh, maybe I'm lucky. Before the year started, I had the 49ers and the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. I didn't pick a winner. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a winner now. If the 49ers make the Super Bowl, 
they win the Super Bowl this year. And that is my pick. So you heard it now. Uh, bet on it, everybody. I did pick the Philadelphia Phillies to go to the, the World Series this year before the, before the playoffs started. So, And Speedy could vouch for it. I did. I said it, and I, I still think, even though they lost tonight, I still have Philadelphia winning. So maybe I'm lucky. So that's, is, is that 2-2 two, two now? I, no, I it's 3-2. Three, three, two. Two. Astros. Three, two. Astros now. Going okay. back to Houston for the last two games of the series, I believe Wheeler will win game six, and then it's all she wrote in game seven. Whoever, uh, who, who would play in, in game seven? It's not Nola. Probably Suarez would have to pitch for Suarez. the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah. Suarez is a good pitcher. He pitched well in the second half of the Phillies. Wasn't he a bullpen player they took out of the bullpen? He was a starter last year, and he pitched well, and then this year he was really bad in the beginning, so they put him back in the bullpen. Mm. So, yeah, but uh, guys, you guys are awesome. Clay, as always, you're fantastic. We'll get you guys on. When the playoffs come around, I, I don't know if the Broncos will be there, but I'll still, we'll still have you, Lance. We'll still have you, Lance. You're a great you're a football you know, you know, personality. And, don't worry, uh, Lance. You know who won't be there either? The Raiders or the Chargers. So. Or the Jets, yeah. probably. You feel good about or that. Or the Jets. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, in the second half, my team goes on this this run where, hey, you know, we'll win nine games and we'll sneak into the playoffs and maybe we'll be a scary team because of our defense. I'm not counting on it. It wasn't this year that I thought the Jets were going to explode. It's next year. I think the Jets are they have the they have such a good young roster. They're going to be a scary good team next year. The whole question is is Zach Wilson the guy? And by the end of this year, I think as a Jet fan. Even though it, it, it takes three years, ask, ask Josh Allen, ask anybody, it takes three years for the quarterback to develop. I believe next year we'll know for a fact, but I believe by the end of the year we'll know if Zach Wilson is going to transition into the quarterback we think he's going to be. So, Clay, your Dolphins have a big role, a big game at the end, at the end of the wild card race to take on the Chargers and knock them out of the playoffs. They play the Jets in the final game of the year. Woohoo! It'll be, it'll be the team that uh, that wanted to hire Sean Payton against the team that is going to hire Sean Payton. The <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Dallas Cowboys. Wow, Dallas they're Cowboys firing race. Brandon Staley, you think, Clay? I think so, yeah. I do. I do. Okay. I, I think uh, it, it, Peyton had a comment the other day talking about the uh, – there was a, a coaching decision at the end of the half, and he was pretty much uh, – it, it sounded like he was uh, criticizing the head coach of a team that he wants to be coaching next year. Mm. It's interesting, and I, I, I will say this. Uh, the Giants got it right with Dable. Uh, they definitely did. Uh, the Jets got it right with Salah. So the New York teams are pretty much – I think both teams are very much set. There are teams that – I think the, the Buccaneers are going to be, new, uh, be looking for a new coach next year. I, I do believe um, the Saints could be looking for a new coach next year, even though they're, they – they they anointed the the Allen, defense. Yeah. yeah, Allen is. I think he's going to be gone. Sean Payton wouldn't go back there anyway. Though, I don't. Think. I no. the Colts. No. They're going to be looking for a new coach. I think the Chargers are looking for a new coach. The Texans are probably going to hire what's his name again, ex quarterback for the New York Jets. Uh, oh, Josh McCown. Josh McCown will be the coach of that team next year. Um, the the Bengals might be looking for a new coach because oh, even though they went to the Super Bowl, this is a horrible year for a team that everybody expected to go to the Super Bowl. If they somehow don't even make the playoffs, they could be out. Um, look, Matt, Matt LaFleur next year, if they don't make the playoffs next year, he'll be on the hot seat. Um, Josh McDaniels could be gone. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Yeah. Uh, I, 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 Who me? <laughs> Who me? Nathaniel yes. Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett. is. I think there'll be seven or maybe eight spots that'll be open in the offseason. Oh, and Ron Rivera is going to be fired. 
I, I do believe that. Ron Rivera, the crap that he said about Carson Wentz, I, I, I just I think he's lost the team. I, I, you say that about your quarterback, it just shows you how much respect you have for your team. So, so what we've learned is the entire AFC West outside of Andy Reid might have their coaches fired. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty much you're pretty much right. Well, so so here's my take on the whole thing. Uh, the Broncos should do next year what they should have done this last year and hire Dan Quinn to be the, the head coach of that team. Yep. Dan Quinn is a good coach. Uh, it just, a hell of a coach. Uh, don't hire Kyle Shanahan as your offensive coordinator. <laughs> It'll be Brian Schottenheimer, unfortunately, and Ejiro Evero is going to be the I'd rather Brian Shan- I would rather Brian Schottenheimer right now instead of Mike LaFleur, who has been an absolute atrocious offensive coordinator for the Jets. Oh, my God, how bad he's been. I feel bad for Zach Wilson listening to play calls from that idiot. Anyways. Clay, we really appreciate you, as always. We follow you. You're fantastic over there in Miami. Keep up the good work, and we'll have you on very soon. Anytime, guys. Have a good night. Fantastic. I love Clay. Great mm-hmm. guy. Great Thanks, guy. Clay. I appreciate you, man. Uh, it's nice to talk with you. Man. I love you, too, Lance. You know, you have a great hey. personality. I like what you do, and uh, keep up the good work at what you're doing, man. I, I, I feel bad for the Broncos because I, I really thought the Broncos were going to be somewhat of a good team this year. I don't know what's going on with them, but – uh, next year, I, I, they they don't have a first round. Well, they have obviously the first round draft pick from Miami. It's going to be a late first round draft pick, but uh, I, I do believe that uh, your team will figure it out. I, I do. I I can't. I can't see Russell Wilson this bad. I I, I just. I can't. And if he and if he is next year, oh my God, what a, this will set this the the Denver Broncos back for at least six years. Uh, it, it's really sad if it if it happens that way. I don't think it is, but Russell Wilson looks like he's in a deer in headlights sometimes. I, I don't know what is going on. You've never seen Russell Wilson make these faces like when he's walking off the field. I remember when they would lose a close game in in Seattle, how angry he gets. He's so competitive. Now he just walks up the field like I knew I was going to lose, you know, kind of <laughs> thing. You know, he just doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. It, it's, and then I'm sure he's pissed off because he sees Geno Smith doing the things that he's doing. And playing. Yep. Should I have? Lo- should I have left Seattle? Um, probably not. The, the the big thing is is I think that when the Broncos brought in Russell Wilson, they wanted to do right by him and they wanted to bring uh, like allow him to have some decision making. That's what he wanted to have. He wanted to be a voice. He wanted to have. Um, some final say on some things in terms of what the offense is supposed to be looking like and stuff like that. But it's not working. He wants to be Drew Brees, but he's not Drew Brees. He's Russell freaking Wilson. Mm. He's, he's that mobile quarterback. They, they, like He does really well moving outside the pocket and throwing the deep ball like on the run and stuff like that. He doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to be Drew Brees, and it's not working. And that like they're scheming up offensive plays that get him into advantageous situations. He's not seeing it the right way because he's not Drew Brees. He's not Peyton Manning. He's Russell Wilson. I say that about Zach Wilson all the time. And Zach Wilson is Russell Wilson esque. And Zach, and I I, want to see Zach Wilson run and use his legs. He's good. He's a great scrambler, probably the best scrambler in the NFL. Some people say he is the best scrambler, but for some reason, he scrambles backwards, not forwards. I'm watching him play, and he's hiking the ball, and all of a sudden, you see them get to the the quarterback, and he's running backwards. Like, where the fuck are you running? Excuse my language. I'm saying, where the hell are you running? 
You're running 10, 15 yards backwards. You're supposed to run forwards. Didn't he take a 30-yard sack the other day? Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) what the hell's going on with him? I'm sorry I cursed, but that just shows you how upset I was watching him. It pissed me off. I I, I can't sit and watch this as as a Jet fan. I'm like... He is better than Sam Donald ever was. He's better than Mark Sanchez. He's better than any of those quarterbacks. And that's what the Jeff fans don't understand. He's even better than Geno Smith. The problem with this kid is you know his ability. You know how strong he is. You know what he's good at. Why don't you use what he's good at to his advantage? Let him scramble. Let him use his leg. He's better on the throw on the run. Let him throw the ball on the run. Him planting his feet, he doesn't plant his feet, he throws on his back foot. And when he does that, he puts himself into so many you know, situations to fail. He, he, every single interception he threw this year was on his back foot. Every yep. single one. Every time he plants his feet, he's, a, he's an accurate thrower. I don't know what the Jets are doing, and this has everything to do with coaching. Mike LaFleur, and now everybody's down on on him. Man. You, you listen to all these analysts. It makes me sick to my stomach. I'm watching ESPN and stuff like, oh, Zach Wilson's the worst quarterback out of the four. <laughs> Guys don't even know how to speak. And I'm like, uh, before this past week against the New England Patriots, he was 4-0 and as a starting quarterback. And, and, and everybody's like, well, he didn't throw the ball. He didn't have to throw the ball a lot. So why would sh- why should he? So it, it just – I don't understand it. He didn't have a preseason either. I, I, Jet fans, I, I don't, you might not even be listening to the show because it's late. Grow the hell up. Let this kid finish this season, then judge him. Until the season is over, you cannot judge this kid. Period. And, so, it, and I think he's going to show up against Buffalo this week, and I can't wait. He's going to outplay Josh Allen this week. And he's going that's, to shuttle people up. You'll see. I'm telling that's, you. That's a, that's a hot take, and I cannot agree with you. But I can agree with you that he's not the worst of the four because at least he's playing games. And Jets fans, if you're still listening, I know it's late. At least he's better than Trey Lance, who has not played very much at all mm. over the first two years. Of, uh, like, like, at least Zach Wilson's played. You, you see what is there, and he's growing. He is. It's taking some time. But Trey Lance has not played. So he cannot, like, Zach Wilson cannot be the worst of the four because Trey Lance is still very clearly the worst of the four. He only threw 300 passes. In, you in know what they said? Total. Oh, we don't know what he is, so he, he we can't really declare him bad. Okay, so Josh, I mean, Zach Wilson, his record as an NFL starting quarterback, I think it's over 500 as a Jet, okay? Mm-hmm. And this year he's 4-1, and one and he's been better. As a, as a second-year quarterback, because he hasn't have like 15 touchdowns and he hasn't have 2,000 yards right now, he's not good. Tell Mike LaFleur to stop holding him back like a little bitch and tell him to throw the damn ball. How's that? Yeah. How's yeah. that? I mean, Elijah Moore, get him on the field. Tell him his anti-Semitic bull crap. It, it won't work in, the, in, in this locker room. And if you do, you do, you pull his pants down and you strap him a couple times in the ass. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> do something and shut this kid up. I mean, sitting here and saying, we like Elijah. We like Denzel. We, you like everybody. You like my ass if it was Harry. I, I, I don't know what to say anymore. With, with, I, I love Joe Douglas, but don't go up there and talk to the press saying we like this guy and we like that guy. It doesn't mean anything to the Jet fan. We yep. want to know the truth. What is going on? Are you going to play? 
obviously there's a problem right now. You're not playing. He How many snaps did he play last game? Five? Okay? So you know that you're punishing him. Stop telling everybody that you like him when you're not even playing him. That's all I'm going to say. Be honest. Stop bullshitting us. Hey, and, wait, and Zach Wilson. That's another curse, baby. And I'm going to curse by the end of this show because it sickens me. And Zach Wilson hasn't gotten benched either this season, unlike Mac Jones. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just tired of it. As a Jet fan, I'm just tired of it. Stop. The, the Jet, I, the analysts. I, I mean, come on, man. I, I don't blame you, man. As a, as a Broncos fan, a Broncos analyst, a guy that went through training camp and was there and helped cover the team and stuff like that, you you see what was coming out, the, the reports and everything like that. And you like you hear this Broncos offense is going to be so good this offseason. Like, they're going to be so great. might take them a little bit of time to gel and whatnot. And then you see what's on the field. They're the second worst team in scoring points in the NFL this season through eight weeks. It's horrible. No, it's bullshit. It, no, you sorry, can curse. I'd listen. Yeah, Errol's had twice already. This so. is the end of the show. This <laughs> is the end of the show. You can curse. Whatever will happen, will happen. <laughs> it's late. It's over midnight. So regardless, like I'm tired of the, the the crap excuses. I'm tired of being fed a bunch of lies. I'm tired of like. We were told that this this team was going to be competitive. They were going to win a lot of games because the offense was going to be good. We've seen this same offense since 2015. Yeah, yeah the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015. 16, Trevor Simeon led the offense. They scored 17 points a game. It's been that since then. Mm. And this, this, uh, this offense might be the worst offense we've seen in Denver Broncos history. And that includes a season in which Tim freaking Tebow was the starting quarterback. <laughs> it's that bad. Like, seriously, guys, I, you, you may not know this. The Broncos were established in 1960. The worst offense that they had in their existence was 1966. They scored like 13 points a game total. That season, through their first seven games, that offense scored more points than the Broncos have this year. Wow. Mm. Like, it's literally the worst offense we've seen to start a season in Denver Broncos history dating back to 1960. It's that bad. Mm. That was, like, still, like, kind of AFL, like, pre-merger, too. That's yes. so sad. When, when you ran the football 60 times a game, you right. maybe threw it 12. Yeah. Like, you're talking the worst Broncos offense ever, and everyone's like, oh, it's Russell Wilson, it's Nathaniel Hackett. We've got all this great offensive prowess that are going to bring in and bring this explosive Broncos offense – and we haven't seen it. And I'm absolutely effing tired of seeing it. I'm so frustrated. I Last week on my podcast, I literally slapped my camera off of my screen. I was so mad. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. I cannot cover this team this way anymore. The way that we're just being lied to. Well, Straight out, right? Oh, we think we're close. No, you're not. You're not close. Well, anymore. I will say this. If the Jets win this weekend, I promise you guys, I will post something significantly funny. On Snapchat. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something very, very funny because if they do win and they shut all the naysayers up because, oh, Buffalo is just so much better than the Jets, if it happens, which it could, I'm going to do something that nobody will ever forget on Snapchat. I promise you. I might get in trouble after this, but it will be, it'll be very, very funny. 
Uh, so expect, uh, expect it. I, I, I expect the Jets to win this game. I, I really do. And not because I'm a Jet fan. Not because I, I want to see this team when, when, it, when all the stuff happens to them and it pours on them and, and everybody's attacking their quarterback. They go out and protect their quarterback and do the things that they need to do to win this game. And if you want to prove that you're a playoff contending team this year, as well as Joe Douglas believes they are, go out there before your bye week and beat the best team in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins did. Go beat the best team in the NFL. Go into your bye week with a smile on your face and get ready for you know the second half of the season against New England and shut them down. Win two games in a row in the same division. You've made a statement. And that's what the Jets need to do. You need to make a statement. And then all that Zach Wilson, oh, he's a shitty quarterback. They could go back and, and you could take that to the freaking bank, okay? Because Josh Allen has not looked good the last two weeks. He hasn't. He, the last game he had was against Kansas City when he hopped over, uh, you know, the defensive uh, defensive back, whoever he jumped over the head of. But he, he jumped over somebody. That, since that game, Josh Allen has not had a very good two weeks. So I, I, I want to see, I want to see the Jets like kind of put pressure on him, let him make mistakes. Uh, if he makes mistakes, it'll open up the game for the Jets. They didn't capitalize on that against New England. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Lance, you're fantastic. Keep playing those drums in the back. Hey, you know, yeah, I used to play the drums too, man. I love them. Used to love. I appreciate them. that. I, I hope they didn't echo too bad. I know that you guys maybe had some sound issues. No, earlier, not at all. But, uh, uh, hopefully, it didn't echo too bad. It's a great, great pleasure to join you, Errol and Petey. It's it's awesome to be back on here. Um, hopefully, we can do this again Absolutely. soon. Uh, also, uh, NFL draft time. I'm going to be starting up on some NFL let's do draft it. stuff. So let's let's, let's do, do it again it. here soon. All right, let's do it, man. We'll and do it. it. And maybe at that point, Josh McDaniels will be fired. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we'll get right, you boys. on before the draft. We'll get you on before the playoffs. We would love to get you on again. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Anytime, just uh, have Kyle shoot me a message, and we'll 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 figure it out. Right, Lance. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem, boys. We'll see have you later, man. Mile high huddle Broncos and NFL analyst Lance Sanderson. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. It was actually more positive of Nathaniel Hackett than I thought, but yeah, I guess somebody's got to be. I'm tired, man. It's a great show. Thank you to Clay. Thank you to Lance. Thank you to all the fans. You want me to tap dance on this table or something? Oh, God. I'm drained. But uh, great show. If you're it drained, really why would you tap dance? But okay. Uh, because it'll probably keep me awake. <laughs> I mean, I'm about to faint. But, uh, yeah, Speedy, uh, it's been wonderful. Um, you do look a, a little hairy, you know? We need to get your haircut. You need one. Congratulations. We need to shave up that muff. Wonderful. You know, it, I wonder if we, we shaved up your hair and we used it as a wig for somebody, you think it would look good on somebody's head? I, I do you have any bald people in your family? Uh, one of my uncles has like kind of shorter hair, but not like completely bald. I think you should give him some of your hair. Uh, well, we'll, we'll glue it. Yeah, the, the, their whole family has thick hair besides him, so I'm surprised that wouldn't have happened already. But okay. yeah, I know. Anyways, wonderful show. Thank you to the fans. Thank you to everybody. We'll be back on Wednesday. Listen to the Weekend Crunch on Saturday. Is there an Islander game? Nope. This is our first normal week, and then there'll be three more Islander games in a row after that. But we're normal this week. Back to seven. Normal this week. Okay. So check us out at 7 p.m. on Saturday on 103.9 FM if you're out here. If not, check us out on iHeartRadio 
on 103.9, the LI News Radio. So that's it. Good night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.